Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's get nasty on a Friday. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. I'm Anthony Stalter. Alongside me today, Andrew Marsh and our guy, Brandon Kylie, who's just going to stay right where he's at and do a couple more hours of radio. Uh, thank you to BK and Alex Ferrario for doing some extra work with me the last couple of days as Jamie Rivers is out of town. And BK, I wanted to start with this. I, I don't want to do the whole revisionist history thing. But I can't remember a weekend in St. Louis sports that had this much action, this much much local live action in quite a while. Now, we've had Cardinals playoff games matched up with Blues regular season games. We've even had like a Rams Thursday night game and a Cardinals playoff game. But for a weekend to set up like this, where you have Mizzou, you're, you're proud, you're a proud Mizzou alum. Indeed. Mizzou taking on Princeton in the second round tomorrow, like evening-ish. Then you've got the Battle Hawks in their second game against the D.C. Defenders. So a revenge spot for the Battle Hawks is the, the, the Defenders are the only team thus far to, to beat the Battle Hawks. And then, of course, you've got City SC hosting San Jose in for an opportunity for history as they go for their fourth consecutive win. No, no expansion team in MLS history has ever done that. But you head into this weekend with such excitement, and you've and paired with like the spring, the days now are, are when it comes to you know the the light is it, it's lighter longer. You've got the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, which is always exciting. It's St. Patrick's Day, and we're live here at at Max in downtown Alton again, uh, second straight day. But man, this is this is about as good as it can get for like regular season action. Yeah, when we found out that St. Louis was going to have the MLS, this is the kind of weekend that you were hoping for, right? This is what it builds up for is before the Cardinal season has really gotten going. I know they got spring training going on right now, but we're, we're not in opening day or anything like that. You have the ability for St. Louis to really still show out as a sports town. We've seen that with the XFL last weekend. We saw it with the home opener for City as well. They have opened up the 400 level once again for the Battle Hawks. We've seen City's going to sell that thing out once again for this game. It's going to put St. Louis once again on the map nationally in terms of people talking about St. Louis is a great sports town. doesn't matter what the sport is. This right. place will support the teams that it has available to it. I, it does stink in, in my, just for me, like selfishly, that the games are basically at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. I think it would be that so cool if you had the ability to be able to like go down to the dome at five 
and then you head over to City's game starting at 7.30, and you can kind of knock out both games in one day. That's what we saw last weekend with the Battle Hawks and the Blues. You were able to kind of get both games in in one day. So the timing of it is unfortunate, but otherwise it's going to be an awesome weekend downtown. Yeah, space it out a little bit, right, yeah. Marsh? It's definitely a great weekend to crack open a few beers, sit on the couch, get the double screens going, and, mm -hmm. and just watch some of your favorite teams. I'm oh, going to be who down. Doesn't, who doesn't love the double screen? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to be at the Battle Dome on Saturday, so I really won't be able to see the Mizzou game or the City SC game, depending on how long the, the XFL game goes, which, by the way, have been actually pretty quick for the most part. Yeah. So, uh, And also you have Blues, Blues hockey on Sunday as well as they take on the Jets, so maybe a little uh, – little dessert there for some St. Louis fans. There you go. Yeah, you can kind of cap it off with that. The Blues play tonight in D.C., 5 o'clock pregame. <clears throat> Excuse me, right here on 101 ESPN. You can listen to the pregame uh, immediately following our show. We're, our show, a little truncated fast lane. We're only on for three hours, but then you, it leads up to some Blues hockey. So I want to ask you guys, and, and Kylie, with you being a Mizzou fan, you follow the team as close as anyone. You also write for... Uh, Rockham Nation, and you're a football. You're, you're the Mizzou, one of the Mizzou football columnists, but you follow the basketball team well. You even had this the the uh, celebration cigar going on yesterday, which I respect, man. I mean, it's it's been a while. It's been since 2010 since Mizzou has won an NCAA tournament game, so it is exciting. How far, with the way things shape up in that region? What's realistic now for Mizzou? How far can they go? So I mentioned this on, on our show as well. I, I think Sweet 16 is kind of the max. It's just hard for me to imagine. But, I mean, the way that Baylor's playing right now, maybe I'm wrong on this, it's hard for me to imagine them upsetting one of Baylor or Creighton in the Sweet 16. If they were to do so, I, I really don't think that they can beat Alabama. Alabama, to me, was, like, of the teams that I saw them play this year, they were the most impressive team that I saw from start to finish, and they, they've got everything. They've got the ability to shoot. They've inside presence. They they don't turn the ball over. They're great defensively. Alabama has every ingredient that you could possibly ask for. That's a tough task, but I think that this team can and should make the Sweet 16, and then it just becomes a question of, like, do you think that they're able to beat the real studs in this bracket? I, I thought they might get some help with UC Santa Barbara early on. They, yeah. they were able to um, upset the apple cart. They had the lead early on against Baylor. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. Baylor has retaken the lead. They're up by nine now with eight minutes left to go. My max for them is the Elite Eight. I think the more likelihood is Sweet 16. Where are you at on Mizzou in terms of the ceiling for them? You know, for me, I think I think if you could get – if you can run it up until you face Alabama, I, it, it's – I think once you won yesterday, you're kind of playing with house money. Absolutely. The only thing is, Princeton beat Arizona, so it change it changes a little bit. Because I and correct me if I'm wrong, Mizzou fan is saying, okay, just win the first one. You should you should beat you should be able to beat Utah State. It's not going to be a runaway. In fact, Mizzou was a, a slight dog in that game, but it essentially was a pick 'em. If you can win that opening round, nobody expects you to beat Arizona. So we'll celebrate. Then Princeton beat Arizona. And I know that Princeton is good. In fact, I, I, I know that Mizzou has a lot of this, a, like they have similar concepts to that, that Princeton offense as well. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But when Princeton's a, a 15 seed, and now all of a sudden Mizzou is what, five and a half, six, six point favorite, the, expect changes, the expectations change in a blink. As soon as Princeton was able to knock off Arizona, it was, oh, wow, this, they should go dancing now. They should get into the Sweet 16. 
So for me, that's I, I think the expectation is Sweet 16, but I don't think it's crazy to get to get to Alabama. This Baylor team to me is overrated. In fact, I, I I wasn't completely shocked that they were down by one at halftime, but I think the talent has taken over. But Baylor doesn't play defense. I neither does Mizzou. That's that's the problem. It's like <laughs> Mizzou also doesn't play particularly great defense most nights either. It's funny how this thing works with expectations, right? Because coming into the season, my hope for Mizzou was this. Make it to a postseason game. Mm -hmm. Didn't care what it was. Didn't have to be the NCAA tournament. Play in the CBI, play in the NIT, whatever it ends up being. Just be respectable. Get yourself back on track. Start building the foundation of what your program's going to be long term. Then you beat Illinois. Then you beat Kentucky. And it was like, oh, I think we might have something here. This team might be able to get into the tournament. And then they got some big wins in the SEC as well. And then they win in the first, they get the four seed, they get the double bye, and then they get that first win in the SEC tournament. And you're like, man, maybe this team can go on a little bit of a run in the SEC, or in the NCAA tournament. And now you've got the, the perfect opportunity to be able to advance to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2009. And now you look at it, you're like, okay, the expectations have changed. Now my hope is that you can make it to the Sweet 16, given the fact that you're a favorite here. So even if they lost, this season has already been an overwhelming success. But Princeton winning that game completely alters how I'm looking at what they're going to do in the second round. It's, it's, it's incredibly interesting. All right, moving on to the Battle Hawks. So they, they host the D.C. Defenders. You're in, you're in on the Battle Hawks, aren't you? I'm, you're in on the XFL. I'm really interested. Huge Brian Hill fan. I He's a good player. I liked Brian him out of college. Uh, so did I, out of, out of Wyoming, local yeah. local product. In fact, when Marsh and I were talking about it, I said, hey, because I think we got maybe a question on the Sports Six Pack, who's who's the player to watch? And, I'm, and I said, look, everybody's going to say AJ McCarron. The guy you should watch is Brian Hill. I liked Hakeem Butler coming out of college, too. I thought he was did stud at Iowa State, and then it just did not work in the NFL. Yeah, but, you know, big, big guy, and he, he doesn't have the speed necessarily to be – a prototypical wide receiver doesn't have the size to be a prototypical tight end, but he, he's perfect for this offense. I'm intrigued because this is a game that A.J. McCarron, now that you're two months into this offense, this is a game that A.J. McCarron should take over. Because everybody's asked about Jordan Te'amu and, and the mobility. I said this before they played D.C. Get a lead. Get a lead, and then you see how good Jordan Te'amu is. In fact, if they get a lead... I'm willing to bet that De'Ara King is the one that, that gets the majority of the snaps in the second half if the Battle Hawks can get a lead. Because Tayam, you put him in a drop-back passing game, and he's going to lose that every single time to McCarron. If you don't, they can run that six-back offense. It causes all kinds of issues with your linebackers and your safeties and your corners having to respect Tayamu's legs. You have to get a lead tomorrow. And if in order to get a lead, McCarron's got to be aggressive against this Greg Williams defense, which can be had. The other thing is you're at home. Yeah. And this crowd, it, it's crazy. I can't believe I'm saying this about the XFL. But it's true. <laughs> the crowd will be a factor in the second half. If you right. get a lead and you're able to get that crowd behind you and your pass rushers are able to just get upfield, it completely changes the way that you're going to be able to play. So mm -hmm. it, it is a real factor when you've got almost 40,000 people that are in the stands. I thought last week they did a good job at closing that game out. Obviously, the first two wins were real close games, and they had to come back and, and finish it off. In Arlington, they had a, a drive late in that game and put some points on the board, but then the Battle Hawks responded, and they closed that game out. And I think that's what they need to do uh, in, in order to be successful this season is take advantage of those opportunities late in games and close games out and not 
not allow teams to sort of come back and, and have a fighting chance because we know the XFL, the rules are different. You can nine points. It's a nine-point swing. It's completely different. It changes the game and, and how we look at uh, the XFL. Do you like the fourth and fifteen? I do. I think the NFL should adopt it. Me too. I agree. The the onside kick. You get laid into a game now, and there there was a point in time previously where you're like, okay, we still got a chance. He's got the onside kick coming up, but yeah. the rule changes have made it nearly impossible to be able to recover an onside kick. It's like a three percent chance that you're able to recover it at this point. Go for fourth and fifteen. Yeah. What would you rather see? Your fourth string linebacker trying to go down there and crush an uh, opponent to be able to pick up the football, or let's get the best players on the field. Let's see what Josh Allen can do on fourth and fifteen. Let's see what Aaron Rodgers is able to do with the Jets with Garrett Wilson and his seventy-year-old tight end on the field because he has <laughs> to have him. I, I would prefer it that way. I think it's something that if there's one rule the NFL should adopt from the XFL. It's making comebacks more possible by adding in that fourth and 15 late. I'm with you. You have instant drama when Patrick Mahomes is attempting a fourth and 15 to get the Chiefs back in the game. And you have Andy Reid that can design plays that, I mean, let's be honest, you're going to get some wide open looks at times too, just, just designing those plays if you're somebody like Reid or Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay. I, I agree with you. I think they sh it should be adopted. The pushback that I've heard is like, well, you don't want this happening in every game all the time. It wouldn't. Guys, it, it's still a it's still a I mean, look, fourth and 15 is still incredibly difficult. to. And it's at your own 25. Yeah. It also, you don't have to do it at the end of the game either. If you want to do that, maybe in the middle of the game or. But coaches are cowards. You know Let's be honest. Like they, they don't even go for it on like fourth and three. Think back to the Super Bowl. The most aggressive team on on fourth downs in the NFL is the Philadelphia Eagles. They had an opportunity, I think it was from their own 35 late, where they decided to punt. This was on the Kadarius Tony punt, and they didn't go for it in that spot. That was the exact type of scenario where you, you probably should. They decided not to. Why? Because coaches don't want to go for it in their own end. Right. So you're not going to see these teams like playing make it, take it or anything like that. Yeah. It's going to be fourth and 15. That's a long shot opportunity for you offensively. But it's better than the onside kick. So I, I love it. I think it's something that the NFL should absolutely look at. And it's only fourth quarter, too. So you have to be trailing or you have to be tied in the fourth in order to do that. And I honestly wouldn't mind getting rid of that part of it. Just See, it, I kind of I kind of like that it's I like that it's only in the fourth quarter. I don't think teams would do it anyways. I, I agree with that. You you know some like the analytics are gonna say, well, I'll just go for Doug it anyways. It's gonna point. be like, no, 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 it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And then the Jaguars are gonna lose thirty-two to nine and you're, <laughs> you're like, what the hell are we doing here? Uh, real quick, from the 636, the XFL's replay setup crushes the NFL's, and it's not even close. I like that look. I like that look. I like the fact that it's quick, too. I think the XFL, March, you, you alluded to this earlier. I like the tempo thus far of XFL games and the way that they, they kind of get in and out with the replays. I agree with that. All right, 214, your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Real qu quick look at the scoreboard. Baylor will not be upset today with four minutes remaining in that one. It's now 69-54. Believe it or not, UC Santa Barbara did have a one-point lead at halftime. It's all been it's been Baylor in the uh, second half. 30-30, VCU St. Mary's just tipped off in the second half, so that's the 5-12 seed in the West region. And Marquette with an early lead on Vermont, 24-18, with just under eight minutes remaining in the first half. We nearly had an upset. Kennesaw State was up by, I don't know, 10, 12 points at one point in the second half. They lose 72-67 to Xavier. So Xavier does not go down like that 3-14 uh, matchup that we saw yesterday. Furman and – no, Furman and Virginia was 13-4, right? Yes. yes. Okay, so we haven't seen a 14-3. 
We've seen a Princeton. Not yet. Yeah. 15 2. Okay. Hopefully, we see a uh, Iona over UConn later I, today. You know, not that. It, hold your breath. Not that it matters, because uh, I, I do have UConn winning at all, but USC was my. Hey, nobody is seeing. Nobody has this team. Let's take. You Let's switched it at the last moment. I too. did. I said, "Let's let's roll the dice here." Nobody's got the Trojans, and here's why: they lost by ten today to Michigan State. So I can rip up the bracket. That's done. All right, I want to I want to get into this next. Uh, BK, when you're when you're looking at the differences between Mizzou now and Mizzou over the past ten plus years or so, what's the difference? Why is Gates, why has he been able to accomplish this when others have failed? We'll get into that conversation next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. talk about this all the time. Uh, we get a, everyone on the team gets access all the time. Uh, where a team goes on a, a two-point run, a 10-point run, or a 20-point run, he's the same way. So every time, you know, they might hit a three, we get a timeout, we look over the bench, we're heading there, and he's, he's just standing there with his hands behind his back. So now that leaves us. There's no reason for us to be yelling and, you know, screaming at each other because he's not doing it at us. Um, we get there, he was like, everybody just calm down, calm down power clap, and, and, you know, reset. So, you know, it's big for the team, and I'm glad he's that way. That was Kobe Brown, guard for Mizzou. Advances to the second round where they'll take on Princeton tomorrow following a 76-65 victory over Utah State with Brandon Kiley and Andrew Marsh. I'm Anthony Stalter. We're at Max in downtown Alton for another day of the NCAA tournament. We'll update you on some scores in a little bit here. But, uh, BK, I wanted to ask you, and I did ask you this initially after the win yesterday, but to fo- let's focus in on Den- Dennis Gates because that's who Kobe Brown was talking about. And... From from what I have read and seen from Dennis Gates, it matches up perfectly with what Brown is talking about there. He's just got this even approach to him. And as much as college basketball generates those emotions and that energy, to have a coach that doesn't get too high or too low I think is important. Beyond that, everything I've read about Gates is that he truly gets to know you no matter if you're playing for him, coaching for him. When he was an assistant at Florida State, he would go out and try to, you know, observe Jimbo Fisher or the, you know, like the women's or men's soccer coach. It didn't matter who it was. He absorbs anybody that, do, that, that coaches at a, an elite level, picks, picks, you know, like certain things that he likes about them. But I think it, when it comes down to a Gates and the communication, a, the communication aspect of this and guys like Brown wanting to play for him and wanting to give their all to make sure that they don't disappoint him because he cares so deeply about them. Like, we could talk about the X's and O's, but at its root, we are talking about kids. And thus far, Gates has knocked it out of the park with guys wanting to play for him. It's a weird and honestly terrible nickname, but he's been nicknamed the relationship collector by certain people. That's something that's been written about at times this year. 
because he's so good at walking into somebody's life and then you instantly feel a connection to Dennis Gates. And you're not totally sure why, but you walk away saying like, man, that guy was impressive. Yeah. And that's the way that he's been able to recruit in his history as well. And that's, I think, the first thing that stands out to me, Stoltz, is that you've got a guy who has all of the good qualities of Conzo Martin because for as much as he was frustrating at times, Conzo Martin had some great qualities as a man, as a human being. He's a guy that I would want my kid playing for in college. The problem was he didn't have the offensive system and he wasn't a great recruiter the way that we all expected him to be. Gates has those qualities off of the court, but also adds in the element of, I've got an offense that's an NBA-style offense, and we're going to play with some tempo, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and kids are going to want to play here because of the offense that I'm running. He's got a defense where he's literally running everything. I mentioned this yesterday where their defense is kind of like Steve Spagnuolo, what he does in the NFL. I read a piece recently on Spags, and other NFL offensive coordinators are like, you never know what he's going to run, and you think he's crazy for running stuff when he does. Like, he'll run a zero blitz on third and 15. Yeah which is the opposite of what you should be doing, and that makes it difficult to prepare for. Mizzou's that way defensively. So that's part of what makes him so special. But I think it's really it comes down to two things for me. Player identification and then developing that talent once they get on campus. And then two, having a clear identity as a team. Yeah. When you've got those two things and they have developed both of them, that's how you become a good program, not just for like a one-off, but it can become sustainable. And that's what I think Dennis Gates is trying to build. You know, the other aspect that I love, and look, when, you, when you're talking about successful coaches and we're talking about Dennis Gates and what he's able to, what he has been able to accomplish in just a short time. I mean, he, he was announced as the Mizzou head basketball coach, I believe, in, on March 2nd or March 10th of last year. Yep. It was almost a year to the date that he got an extension and a raise. He beats, Mizzou beats Tennessee in the opening round of the SEC tournament. And then less than a week later, they beat Utah State. And you're going to the second round for the first time since 2010. I mean, you've been able to accomplish that in a short order. But the thing that I've always kind of gravitated toward when it comes to coaches is you either are a genius X's and O's person that people just gravitate you to you because they they want to they want to know what makes you part of like what 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 you're seeing that very few other coaches see, or you can relate to your players and get the most out of them. And it seems to me that Dennis Gates has a little bit of both. Now I don't think he, from what I've read, I don't think he's a he seems to be some genius X's and O's you know some some creative let's reinvent the wheel but i love how he borrows from distant yeah. you know he 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 takes away like he's running like a version of the princeton offense but he's not doing it at breakneck speed yep. you know it's it's controlled they're fast but they're not out of control uh defensively you kind of you've broken that down i love how he has said okay this works this works this works but i only like i only like that so i'll pl- i'll apply it to my my system to get that balance of I could, I could see what, other, what, what works for other coaches and other teams. I'm going to borrow that. That shows humility. But I'm also going to put my own spin on it. I think that's really important when it comes to coaching. If you follow Dennis Gates on Twitter, you'll see him put out a bunch of plays that he's watched from separate games. It could be anything from high school basketball that he's watching maybe for a recruit to the NBA or WNBA. He's pulling stuff from everywhere. He's like, oh, 
that's interesting. How could I incorporate that into what we're doing here? Or, hey, we used this in this game. This is where we got it from. Like, he's posting a bunch of that stuff on Twitter. It's really cool to be able to get an inside view on what he's doing, where he's finding it, how he's incorporating it into Mizzou's offense. I would add this, Stoltz. One thing that I think he's excellent at, and we saw it a little bit yesterday late in the game, he is great coming out of timeouts. Like, his plays are money. You're getting an open look. They don't always go in because no look is going to be perfect. Sure. But he is – watch when they play tomorrow. Whenever they're coming out of a timeout, could be a break, could be him calling a timeout, they will have a great play drawn up coming out of that almost every single time. And it's something that's really stood out to me about Dennis Gates. That does tell you a little bit about who, who he is as a coach. You know, you're talking about the, the plays and, hey, look, this, this worked maybe in the WNBA or this worked at college level. I feel like college football coaches do that. Absolutely. They look and they say, I, I like that. I like that play. They'll take it from high school. They'll take it from the NFL. They'll take it from the XFL. They'll take it from the CFL if, if the rules apply. They don't care. And, and, and I think that professional head coaches don't have that humility sometimes to look back and say, well, that worked in college. This is the NFL. No. Andy Reid will take something from, from a college team and say, man, that was – that's just a great play. When the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid has mentioned this a few different times. He watched a lot of Texas Tech's offense, of course, to break down Patrick Mahomes. And he was like, hey, why aren't we doing this stuff? Like, right. wh how do we incorporate this into our offense? And so if you watch the Chiefs today and then you compare it to what Andy did, I mean, earlier on in his Chiefs career, but certainly going back to what he did at Philly, it looks completely different. And I think this is the trickle-up thing that we see all the time, where it, like, it starts in high school because there's so many different offenses that you see at the high school level because of the talent deficiencies that some teams have. Yeah. And then it works its way up to the college level and then eventually gets to the NFL. The same, team, it, the same thing can be true in college basketball as well, and I don't think enough teams are able to incorporate that. That's Brandon Kiley. I'm Anthony Stalter. Mizzou taking on Princeton tomorrow evening, 5-10 on TNT, South Region, Second round, that one should be highly exciting. The updates now, right now, are around the NCAA tournament. St. Mary's has opened up a four-point lead on VCU. Still a lot of time in that one, so 14 minutes left in the second half. Marquette up 36-28 on Vermont. That's the 215 seed. There's about two and a half minutes left in the first half. Some finals from today. Baylor, 74-50. It wasn't a runaway. They're actually down by one at half, but it was all Baylor in the second half. Xavier survives 14 seed Kennesaw State 72-67. Believe it or not, Xavier was down double digits in the second half, but wound up rallying and winning by five in that one. And then Michigan State cruised in the second half against USC. 72-62 was that final. We'll keep you updated on the NCAA tournament. I want to ask you guys, when it comes to stars and star athletes, Mo you know, a lot of times you think of the most talented players, certainly the ones that might have the, the resume as a prospect in baseball or coming out of college. But then there's some stars, like Lars Newbar, captivating a country, and you think to yourself, what? why? Let's get into that next on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Lumber. 
Warm weather means homework for homeowners. If your homework means a new deck, turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, trex, evergreen, and azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber St. Peter's is your go-to place for a huge selection of quality bedding plants, perennials, and hanging beds. Baskets. They also carry topsoil and potting mix for your gardening needs. Come visit all Hackman Lumber showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Live from Max in downtown Alton. It's the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. A great spot to to watch not only NCAA tournament games, but anything going on this weekend. you got to get a Blues game tonight. In fact, the Cardinals spring training game is on right now against the Marlins. Uh, the game's a lot closer than that 16-1 score would indicate. The Cardinals up 16-1 right now on the Marlins. And I want to talk, talk to you guys about a player that's actually not in camp right now because he's playing – uh, for Team Japan in the WBC. But I wanted to ask you guys about Lars Newbar because I, f- I found this kind of interesting. I was, it, was, it was a bit of a, a throwaway, or, you know, throwaway story that like, the sales of pepper grinders were up, <laughs> up in Japan. And uh, I guess Lars is going to get his own, I don't know, He's version got of pepper or something. Yeah, like something, right? Newt noodles. Uh, it, it just struck me. You know, you've got... You've got talented players in Major League Baseball, and it's not just Major League Baseball. You can expand this to other sports, but we'll, we'll just still stay in the realm of baseball for a second. Mike Trout, insanely talented. For all intents and purposes, seems like stand-up dude. I know for a while people are like, oh, you don't put him on anything. I've seen him in plenty of commercials now. I've seen him in, you know, when MLB runs ads and all that. Mike, Mike Trout's there. You've got a lot of uber-talented and good dudes that can represent Major League Baseball. And then you've got Lars Newtbar, fringe prospect, pretty much, you know, as a a prospect, he was a fringe guy. Well, he could still be the fourth outfielder, according According to to Greg Amsinger, who we uh, don't agree with at all uh, on that that front. Greg says a lot of things. Greg's Greg's great. Greg, Greg always has a take, I'll tell you that. Yep. But this is someone that is playing for a powerhouse WBC team. Japan's a powerhouse WBC team. So he goes to Japan. He's leading off for them. Outside of Shohei Otani, nobody has got better numbers offensively than Lars. He's playing a great center field, doing the pepper grinder all over the place. 
celebration going on. How does a player like Newt, in your guys' opinion, strike? Like, how does he hit in popularity? Joy. Or it just catches on. Joy. His joy is infectious. When you watch him, he's having fun. And at the root of it, like, all we want to do by watching sports is have fun. That, that's, that's what this is supposed to be about, right? It's why the XFL, I think, works. It's because people just want to have a reason to watch football and have a good time while they're doing it. Sure. And they don't really care, like, are the stakes the highest in the XFL? No. That's not a big deal to a lot of fans. Here in like, St. Louis, they are B BK. Touché. You better clean up your attitude. MLS, what do people want to do when they go out to City Park? Are people living and dying with, with City? I think there is a, a portion yeah. of the audience that absolutely is. Yeah. There's a lot of them that go out there because it's fun. It's a great atmosphere to just take in a sporting event. And so with Lars Newbar, to bring it back to him, he just always looks like he's having the most fun in any room that he walks into. Mm -hmm. And I think people crave that. They want to associate with it. They can feel it exuding off of the television screen or off of the field. And so I think that it's not just Lars, but like, when Steph Curry immediately first broke into the NBA and we were like, holy cow, this guy is incredibly talented and he just always looks like he's having fun. I think Patrick Mahomes has some of that. He always looks like he's having fun on the football field. And so I think if you are highly talented and you bring that to the table, like the role glue guy that ends up just having the most fun, man, that's how you can become a legit superstar in whatever walk of life that you're in because people feed off of it. I think it's a little bit of that, and you have to have a little bit of swag to yourself, too. All the players that you just mentioned, they all have a little bit of swag. You look at a guy that came into the MLS, Slatan Ibrahimovic. Not the most likable guy by the way that he would talk to people and the things that he would say. He took a page out of the, you know, the L.A. Times saying, you're welcome, basically. <laughs> but that guy had a ton of swag to him, and people fed, fed off that. Yeah. And so he's a player that like that. Mike Trout, you mentioned Mike Trout. I feel like he – Mike Trout does have a lot of swag. He does. But he just doesn't have that, like – Well, that's, that's why I wanted to you – know, I don't even know how to explain it. He doesn't and have he just, that – He doesn't that, have From it. a popularity standpoint, yeah. he doesn't have that it factor. He's like so, Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt's one of the best baseball players in the world. Right. But he doesn't have that type of swagger it factor that makes him – Quiet, unassuming. He's, exactly, which – works perfectly in this market. Everything about Mike Trout, the baseball player, is interesting and compelling. Like, he's fast. He plays unbelievable defense. Yep. He hits the ball as hard as anybody in the sport. After that, though, nothing about him is particularly interesting. Like, he was a, a pretty good prospect. He was a first-round pick. He ended up working out, and he, like, he just puts his nose down and goes and plays baseball. There's, there's nothing particular particularly compelling about the character that is Mike Trout. Lars Nupar is the opposite. He was this under-the-radar fringe prospect who broke out, and it's like, wait, is this guy good? And then last year in the second half, not only was he good, he was among the best hitters in all of baseball, and he does so while, like, making a fool of himself mm -hmm. in a way where all of us are like, man, I, I kind of like that guy. I yeah. enjoy watching him play. He's got all of the good qualities about Harrison Bader, but he's just, like, kind of a more talented baseball player than Harrison Bader was. And, oh, by the way, he was never propped up to be this next big-time prospect, which I do think is a part of the story locally. For locally, sure. if you're propped up as the next big thing, there's almost no way for you to exceed those expectations. 
But guys like Brendan Donovan and Matt Carpenter, and or at least early portion Matt Carpenter, when people still loved him, uh, this version of Lars Nupar. Alan Craig when he was coming up. Those are the guys that really hit here in St. Louis. Like, they, they take your heart and run with it. Well, I think, I think BK, the, the part that you just hit on there, that to me is the difference. If you're LeBron and you've got the high school basketball games being shown on ESPN or ESPN2, the only way that you're going to become a, become a star is if you win multiple titles and you get into that MJ conversation of, like, GOAT. If you're, you know... It's different, too, though, because star, like he was always going to be a star. Can you become a likable star? Well, that's the thing. And that's right. where it's tough. Like, Steph was always likable because he was this... It's funny that we call him undersized. He's like 6'3", but an yeah. undersized player. Who Somebody said that the other day. I go, no, he's not. He's, I mean, 6'3". Well, you know what helped him was his run with Davidson in the national tournament. Sure. A absolutely. That, That's that where really, we first got to know yeah, him. Exactly. But he becomes this like likable character that you feel like you can put in your pocket. Yeah. And then he's going out here and doing things that we've never seen people do at his size. So that's part of the story for Steph as well. LeBron looks like he was made in a lab. There's nothing like underrated or right. surprising about him being great at baseball. Guys like Steph, guys like Newt Bar, they're the ones that you can kind of latch on to and be like, man, I, can't, I didn't see this coming. Well, I think it's, it's the relatable factor, what, what you just hit on. I, you know, you're, if you're a basketball player, you, you could certainly put in the work. You could, you could have that effort and all that. You fancy yourself LeBron, but LeBron could probably play in his prime. He probably could have played tight end in the NFL. The body type is just, I mean, he's just, he's built differently. But I do think the relatable factor there, like my dad came into town last year, a diehard Yankees fan from New York, got tickets, went to go see the Yankees and Cardinals. And one of the first things he said was, what the hell's a newt bar? (laughs) It was just, it cracked me up. But I'm like, this guy, this guy, this guy's kind of taken over in popularity i think it has to start small though and i was have you guys read malcolm gladwell's the tipping point have you heard of it so one of one of the things that he talks about is hush puppy shoes and hush puppy shoes like wasn't popular they weren't selling and in one of the boroughs in new york city it was just a small group of kids that just started wearing them and they became and like all of a sudden it just grew small then grew and grew and grew and then the popularity just it, it burst and i think that's what we're seeing a little bit with new Park. it was small here in st louis nobody was really paying attention and they get to the wbc level and shohei otani's pepper grinding over ba- you know bases too and then you got little leaguers in japan doing the pepper grinder like it just it just grew and grew and grew but i think it's got to start small i think part of that too is he makes other superstars get out of their element. That's a great Paul point. Paul Goldschmidt becomes a character around Newt Bar. Nolan Arenado really loves Lars Newt Bar. Like, they lived together for part of the offseason, sure. and he, like, makes them more approachable. Shohei Otani is, like, this unbelievable Babe Ruth caliber player, but I don't think that a lot of baseball fans feel like they know Shohei Otani, or they don't feel like he's kind of Mike Troutish in terms of he's just unbelievable to watch. I've never seen anything quite like this before. But now you've got him doing the pepper grinder (laughs) with Lars Nupar, and that becomes approachable. So I I think there's something to that as well. And I wonder if who you play for has any effect on that as well. You look at the Angels, they've been terrible for the past decade. They haven't made the playoffs since 2014, right? Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, best two players in baseball. They haven't even sniffed the playoffs. You look at Lars Nupar, he's in a great market to play baseball. Now he's in Japan, which is also a great country to play baseball in. He's experiencing that for the first time. They're experiencing 
his affectious or uh, you know his his happiness and uh, the text line calls it Zaz. So we'll call Zaz, it Zaz okay. for the I sake like of that. the conversation. Uh, he he he's <laughs> did becoming. They just, <laughs> did they hack off put the, the paw? Because it's Puzzaz. Yeah, Puzzaz. And I think that's his nickname too. In Japan, They're, they use a word that is like pizzazz, really? and yeah, I think that's pretty creative by the text line. I think everybody craves an underdog, and Lars Newbar's an underdog. And like, why is the tournament so great? Because you can latch on to, for two hours, a team that you've never seen before. Yeah. Princeton, for two hours, became everybody's favorite b basketball team in the country. They became your favorite basketball 100%. team. 100%. <laughs> for, for a couple of hours, I was like, man, I really love Princeton. Have I watched a single Princeton game in the last 10 years? No. But I am now, and I'm right. all in You're on all it. In. You love the underdog, and it's what makes March Madness so great. And it's part of what makes the Lars Newbar story so great. By the way, before we uh, move on, text from Thanks Dad, Malcolm Gladwell, name drop, humble brag. Does he know him? No, I th you, you made the name drop. Oh, I don't know him. I just, <laughs> I was just, just, I just referenced his yeah, book. A humble brag that you, know, you read the book. <laughs> Stolter humble brag. He read a book. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I'll be honest, I didn't even read it. I just listened, oh. listened to it on CD, you know, back when uh, CDs were still a humble thing. Humble brag. He probably read that to you. Yeah, he probably Malcolm did. Malcolm Gladwell yeah. sent you a particular uh, version of it. Yeah, just I just, I, I, I basically, I picked him up. He got into the car every day. He read the book to me. Of course. And yeah, that's it. We're, we're tight. Malcolm Gladwell and I, who have nothing in common, probably. Uh, it's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. If you're hoping for that VCU 12-5 upset, I don't think you're going to get it. 50-42, still, still plenty of time. you got eight and a half minutes left. Uh, we've, seen, we've seen crazier things in this tournament, but right now VCU's got a lot of work to do. Vermont trailing Marquette by nine at halftime. It is early in the first half, but so far it is all Pittsburgh, the 11 seed, the play-in teams, the first four teams that get in, specifically those 11 seeds. There's been one that has, like, advanced to the second round, I think, in, like, I don't know, 11 of the last 12 years or whatever, whatever the run is. They're up 13-2 to two now against Iowa State. That's your, that's your updates right now in the NCAA tournament. What's trending is next from Max in downtown Alton. It's Fastlane on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fastlane podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time to find out what's going on in the sports world with What's Trending Now. Brought to you by Goodwill. Donate a car and get tickets to the St. Louis Cardinals. Welcome back to the Fastlane here on 101 ESPN. Anthony Stalter, Brandon Kylie filling in for Jamie Rivers today. I'm Andrew Marsh, and guys, it's time for What's Trending. The Blues taking on the Capitals tonight in D.C., and Joel Hofer, he got called up to the big squad, of course. Jordan Bennington, two-game suspension. Joel Hofer makes his first start of the season for the Blues tonight. What do you guys think about uh, him being in between the pipes? Well, it's an opportunity for the young guy to get a uh, little ice time. That's that's really all you can look at. It. I, I kind of hope that the, the Blues, and Jamie had mentioned this before, you're not going to just shut Bennington down, but you can certainly pick pick some more spots for Thomas Grice or maybe Hofer to get some more starts. and. And that's it. It's just any opportunity you can to get to get a look at a young guy in a spot that matters. And the Blues—they're not going to the playoffs, but you're not going to you're not going to convince Hofer that this game doesn't matter. 
It's a perfect. It's a perfect chance to get a look, get a look at him. I was talking about this with Alex earlier today, and I was a little surprised when, when we first heard the news that Bennington was going to be suspended. He said he didn't think that the Blues would start Joel Hofer. I said, why not? Like, what what's the problem with right. starting him right now? Is at least you got an opportunity. He's going to be your backup goalie next year. He's got a one way deal. He's already basically locked in as the Blues backup goalie going into the, the upcoming season. So why not get him a start right here? I, I like the decision to do so. Alex's counter uh, counterpoint was basically like, hey, you don't want him to end up getting fried because he's behind a bad defense. And I, I was like, man, he's, he's going to be in front of a bad defense next no year what, as well. Yeah, so right. let's find out what he's got. It'll be fun to be able to watch him. And he's a part of the future of the Blues. So this is a big one for him. Guys, of course, we talked about Mizzou uh, to start off the show, but they'll have uh, Princeton to take on tomorrow. About like five o'clock or so. Five ten. Five ten is tip the official, off. Yeah, the official yeah. tip off. Right on. Uh, what do you think about this Tigers team? And more importantly, when you look at Princeton, what what are you seeing from them? Obviously, BK, you said you haven't watched a game of Princeton's all year long, but I'm sure you've done. Saw them yesterday, boys. You did what did I'm you an see? Expert now. Hmm. What did you see from them, from that Tigers team, that might concern you for tomorrow's game? Good defense. They played really good defense yesterday. That's why they won. They didn't shoot it particularly good. I mean, I I know that everybody looks at some of the numbers and they're like, oh, Princeton must have won. Or you think about it conceptually, Arizona versus Princeton. How does Princeton win? Well, they shoot the three. That's probably the way that they get it done. It was the opposite. They ended up not shooting well, but they were able to rebound pretty well given the size disadvantage that they're at. And they played excellent defense against Arizona. They just suffocated them offensively, and they kept them out of the transition opportunities. And that's where Arizona really wants to win. So that's the biggest thing for Mizzou. I, I will say this, something that didn't impress me about their offense yesterday, and it kind of surprised me, they had zero movement off of the ball. Which is not Princeton. It was Like weird. the Princeton offense, which Gates borrows from, the Princeton offense is all about Constant player ball movement, movement and exactly. movement off of the ball. It, it was weird to watch. I was surprised by it and honestly disappointed by their offense. I, I think Mizzou should win this one by 10. I, I think they end up winning this one by double digits uh, tomorrow. I, I think they're in really good shape to be able to advance to the Sweet 16. I think so, too. I think they I think they win, and then I think they got a shot against Baylor, too, if, they, if that's the matchup in the Sweet 16. Because Baylor, you had mentioned this before, Mizzou doesn't play defense. But the Big the Big 12, as we know, the deeper you get into it, they, they typically – you know, if they're high, if they're seated high, Baylor and Kansas State are the two teams seated high this this year. They they typically become overrated. So i I wouldn't put I wouldn't put it past Mizzou to win tomorrow, and definitely give Baylor again if that's the matchup uh, a chance of a, a game in the Sweet Sixteen. Put a little wager in on Mizzou to win the national title, hundred thirty one to one. Oh man, why not? Wow. Uh, last thing 131, here, one thirty one. That was it. How much? Hundred thirty one to one odds. I would so think you they bet ten dollars, you win thirteen hundred. I honestly would think that that'd be a little higher. I'm kind of intrigued by that. I mean, just the fact that Mizzou is is one thirty one to one. They right? have the same odds, I think, as like another eight seed that has not yet played. They have the same odds as Memphis, who has not yet played. Okay. Um, and Memphis plays against Purdue most likely if they are able to advance. So it's. I was a little surprised they were that long. Uh, last thing here, cards. Beat up on the Marlins Day, 16-2. Mason Wynn with a bases-clearing triple. The guy has been unbelievable this spring. According to Derek Gould, 7-for-8 against left-handed pitching this spring. He's got three doubles, home run, five ribbies, uh, and a walk in 10 plate appearances against lefties. Uh, the Cards, they've been looking for a left-handed hitter. Do you think that he could be that left-handed guy late in the season if they bring him up uh, in September? 
I think late, real late in the season. You're, you're, you hit it. It's September. I, the bottom line here is that I think that Mason Wynn, I've mentioned this the last two days, Mason Wynn has accelerated his path to the big leagues this spring. It may have been, ah, we'll see about a cup of coffee next year, to we'll see about a cup of coffee this year, and then we plant. He's, I bet you he's earmarked uh, to be the starting shortstop heading into spring training next year. You say left-handed hitter? Wins a righty, right? Yes. Are you talking, I'm sorry. Are you talking about against left? I meant against left. Yeah, okay, left-handed. I was like, wait a second. Against I feel like I'm missing something. Does no. Marsh have information that no. I'm not aware of? No. Switch Did he switch? No. Um, no against I meant I against left. I knew what you meant. Yeah, I, I do think Mason Wynn has an opportunity to be your starting shortstop going into next season. I think that's the hope from the Cardinals. I don't think this is something where you expect him by midseason to be the starter. You hope this year he continues on the path that he's on right now, which is a surprising progression. I didn't see this coming out of him in spring training. The biggest question with him was the bat. Right. Everybody knows he's got great defense at short. It's a question of can the bat be able to develop at the same rate as his defense has. Uh, it appears that the answer to that is yes. So what do you do with Tommy Edmond then? At that, or is it that's, a Brendan Donovan question? Thing? So it's an off-season question. I do think the odd man out will be Tommy Edmond. Um, first of all, it's not a bad thing to have too many players. Like, right. I, I think this is something we run into. I think it's happened with the outfield right now, Stoltz. I don't know if you guys are getting the same text that we are, but it's like, how do you end up getting all of these guys at bats? Well, they figure it out. Yeah, don't worry Somebody's about it. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's not going to perform the way you expect them to. And even if they are all hitting, Ollie Marmel has shown an ability to get guys opportunities at the DH. He'll have plenty of at-bats to go around. Eventually, there is one too many guys, though. And yeah. I think if you end up having Mason win along with all of these guys that we're already talking about, that's probably the last straw where you do have to probably remove somebody from the equation because you're not extracting as much value as you could by trading them somewhere else. I think Edmund will be that guy. Another team will view him as a legitimate starting shortstop. You could get something good for that. You could get yep. a real return for Edmund in the offseason. That's Brandon Kylie pulling double duty today. It's the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN with Brandon March and Anthony Stoltz. Appreciate everybody joining us here at Max in downtown Alton. It's been a fun day already. Speaking of the Cardinals, what really concerns you right now heading out of spring training? And I'm going to eliminate the, well, they don't have a number one starting pitcher because that's not a right now thing necessarily. They could get by with the starting pitching that they have in the regular season. What really concerns you right now heading out of, out of camp? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A quick update as we sit downtown Alton at Max, and still plenty of time to get on down here, have some drinks, enjoy, you know, St. Patrick's Day and the NCAA tournaments. The games are on right now. Environment's awesome. Food is great. Uh, it's fascinating on 101 ESPN, but a quick run through the current scores. VCU now now down 58-47 to St. Mary's. That's, that's under uh, about under three minutes now. Uh, Marquette's up 45-36 on Vermont, started the second half. And if you're an Iowa State Whew. Cyclones fan and you still have hair, uh, I'm sure you'll be pulling it out at some point in this first half. Pittsburgh now up 22 to two. If you're Iowa a fan, State. is that better? Where you just at least you know, like your team's done. I'm, I'm sorry if you're an Iowa State fan and you're listening to this right now, you're probably going through it a little bit. But you're 10 minutes into the tournament and you already know your team is is out. And, you're probably, and you probably had doubts going in. Yeah, like you knew you knew Iowa State wasn't going to make a deep run. That's but brutal. when you get down 22 to 2, 
And what did you say? They haven't made a field goal yet? They have not made a field goal yet, and you're 10 minutes into the game. You're drinking heavily at this point. Bottom line. You just ordered a bucket. At least it's Friday. Yeah. 3 o'clock. St. Patrick's Day. You're likely off. Enjoy yourself, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely, yeah. You've got better things to do. Watch the rest of some of these other games instead of yours. 3.07, your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm going to take... I'm going to take the number one starter off the board because that is going to be, to me, when you look at the Cardinals, that is going to be one of the biggest questions all season long. You're not going to be able to do anything about it until the trade deadline, and we'll see if they even do anything about it. I'm going to stand pat on this. They're going to need a number one. I don't care how Jack Flaherty looks going into the deadline. If he looks great, cool. Still add one. That's where I'm at on the starting pitching, and I've maintained this for months now. So I'm going to take that off the board. What's What still concerns you? And the, I mean right now coming out of spring training. The bullpen. Really? Who's throwing in the seventh inning on a night-in, night-out basis? Well, I think Who do you feel good about throwing in the seventh inning? I, I, I feel really good about the back end, guys. I feel really good about Helsley, uh, Gallegos, and Jordan Hicks. You feel good about Hicks. Why? I do. Yeah. Stuff The stuff plays. And I think that this is somebody that eventually well, – I can't say. Eventually, he'll show consistency because he, he hasn't. But for me, this this is somebody that even when, and for whatever weird reason, the high con you know it's it's always high contact with Jordan Hicks. Guys aren't crushing him. So even if there's a bunch of contact and it's not just striking guys out, that still plays. It does. He makes me nervous in a big spot because there are real walk issues and he pitches to contact. And sure. when you've got that combination. And you, I know he throws 102 at times, but that doesn't really help you if you're not striking guys out. Like, the velocity's great. It's fun to watch. The movement on his pitches is unbelievable. But when they're moving too much to get into the zone, yeah. that becomes a bit of an issue. I get nervous once you get into the seventh inning because I just don't know who the guy is going to be consistently. And I, I think it does come down to your trust level on Hicks. If you trust Hicks, this bullpen should be okay in your mind. If you don't, though, like me, that's where the questions come in because after that, it's like, do you have Palante in there? Do you have Woodford in there? What's Stratton giving you? Verhagen's going to be a part of it. Wilking Rodriguez is a fun story, and I think he could be good. I have no idea, though, as a Rule 5 pick. And then Zach Thompson had some seriously great moments last year, but there were also times where the Cardinals were questioning whether or not he was an actual reliever. Yeah. What does that look like now that he's in that role of a potential high-leverage lefty? I think I have real questions about their bullpen. I think it'll get figured out midway through the season because they have so many options that they can throw at this. Yeah. But early on, I think it could be a little bit of an adventure. At least at least he's coming off of he being Zach Thompson. At least he's going to be coming off a great spring. Like he's looked he's looked ex he has emerged as their their most reliable lefty. And some of that is because Henesis Cabrera has just been I mean I, I think we're we're witnessing the beginning of the end for Henesis Cabrera. And actually when you go back last year where he ticked off Ollie by storming off the mound, I think that was kind of the the signal the beginning of the end. But at least Thompson's coming off a very productive spring. The only the other thing too with the bullpen is that it's so it's so volatile and it's not just the Cardinals. It's it's just one of those positions in sports that it can change so rapidly from year to year. And I'm not copping out. Like you you bring up legitimate points, sure. okay. But that is the one thing that you know year in and year out will be available at the deadline. There is always a bad team looking to shed salary with a good reliever. And this is why I like the way that the Cardinals approached the bullpen this offseason 
is because there is so much volatility. Yeah. When you go out there and you give a multi-year deal to a reliever, you have no idea what that player is going to be by year two. I hate Much that. less by the third, fourth, potentially fifth year of it. It's just really hard to be able to predict. And so when you throw a Wilking Rodriguez, you have a Guillermo uh, Zuniga, who I don't know if you've been watching him in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, he looks great. He looks unbelievable. Mm -hmm. You've got Thompson. You've got Palante. You've got a lot of guys that you can throw at this thing. Maybe Liberator eventually becomes somebody that you can trust out of the pin. You've got options. I just think it's going to take some time to be able to filter through who the best ones are for this specific season. What's your answer to that? Wayne what Wright. is your biggest question mark that you, you have right now? Wainwright. If I, if I take a step back, like going into the spring, I, I, I had concerns about what, whether or not you're going to have enough options in the outfield, let alone trying to figure out three, you know, the, the, who's going to start and in what order and who's going to be the DH. Every, I mean, everybody's hitting well, not just the outfield. I mean, you got Arnato and Goldschmidt raking in the WBC. Lars has been excellent for Team Japan. You know, Tommy Edmonds got to come back over and he's got to get the, the jet lag situation under control and all that. But, it, I mean, he's your ninth, he's your ninth hitter, and you kind of know what you're going to get out of Tommy Edmonds. The offense looks not only not, – I mean, not, not only sustainable, it looks, it looks great. It looks like it has the potential to be – and BK, I'll give you credit, man. You had said this a couple months ago. You, you said this offense could be – the best in baseball. Best, I genuinely yeah. believe that. I, I think it has the potential to be the best in baseball. I think the expectation going in, like the bare minimum, it should be a top five offense in the sport. Certainly. So when I circle my one concern, it's Wainwright. If he if he doesn't give you innings, forget like the 82 and 89, will that play? And all, if he doesn't give you innings, you're looking at a spot where you're relying more on your bullpen or you're looking at maybe piggybacking, and where does that, you know, does Dakota Hudson get a spot at some point? Because I think he's going to start in Memphis, but does he come back up sooner rather than later because you're not getting enough out of Wainwright? Not to mention it's a legacy player in his last year, and the guy has meant more to your organization than anybody on the roster right now. Where do you see Wainwright, though, in terms of where he's at on the pitching staff? Like, I see him as, like, a four or five at this Absol point. So, like, maybe you can 100%. get away with not getting those innings that he used to actually give you in his prime. If you're only getting five, though, out of certain guys. Like, not everybody's going to be pitching well. For sure. So, if you're only getting five innings, if you got two five-and-dive guys, I think you have problems. You do not have – and this is where we can bring up the number one again. You do not have Scherzer eating eight innings for you. You do not have Verlander going going eight. You don't have, you know, that stud. They're like, I don't care what he's th how he's th pitching right now. He's going to get me seven or eight. You don't have that guy. So if you have two five and divers and everybody else is going six, I think those innings are going to – that's when you worry about your bullpen being taxed. The other thing with Wayno and the reason why it's so important that he gives you the innings is because it's his only value right now. Yeah. Like, he, you yep. can't move him to your bullpen. His right. stuff doesn't play out of the bullpen. The value with Wayno is the fact that he can get deeper into games. He can limit the exposure that your bullpen is having to face on his start days. That's where he helps you. Oh, he, he's an innings eater. At this point in his career, he's a guy that buys you time to get to the postseason. That's what you're hoping for him. And he's just, he's a really solid back end starter. Mm -hmm. The concern is okay, if this stuff is real, and you brought up the velocity, and I, I do understand it sometimes can be overplayed. There comes a point in time, though, where you don't meet a bare minimum threshold in velocity. Yeah. Wayno could be there right now. And that's my concern about him. I. I've maybe been sounding the alarms more than most, especially after his most recent World Baseball Classic opportunity. It doesn't look right. 
and we were told all offseason he found the fix. It was just the comebacker that went off of the knee. It messed with his delivery. Everything is fine now. There's no reason to be concerned. There's now reason to be concerned. 100%. This is a continuation of a problem that we saw. If this was new, it was different than what we saw at the end of last season, sure, I understand patience. This is now a continuation of what we saw at the end of last year, though, and it is legitimately concerning. And I think you would hate to see a potential top offense in Major League Baseball be squandered by a pitching staff that implodes. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to win And that's it. what the question's been all offseason. Yes. Yeah, right. You didn't do anything about it, and that, that's, that, that's, that's going to be the question, or the, the statement, I should say. Last thing on this, and going back to piggyback off your comment about, you know, if, if it doesn't play, BK, Dunk used to talk about this all the time. When you, when you get into the box, can I eliminate certain pitches on a certain day? Because if I can eliminate certain pitches, I can, I can time up your fastball or I can time up your curve. Whatever your number one pitch is, I have a better idea. When, when you could go three or four pitches and you're throwing them all and you're dotting them all, I'm screwed. But if I can eliminate the fastball because you don't trust it, and I, I know I can sit really on your curveball because the, your cutter can be flat and, and you can throw that cement mixer up there at times, all of a sudden now Wayno's best attributes come into play and, and, and you know, guys, guys are timing up that too. So. And that's what he did in the World Baseball Classic. The first couple of innings, he wasn't trusting his fastball. He was right. exclusively going to the cutter. It's a concern. It's Fastlane on 101 at ESPN. What advantages do small programs now have in college basketball? And maybe it's not even now. It's just they've always been there, and we're continuing to see it. We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fastlane podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Live from Max in downtown Alton, it's the Fastlane on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie filling in for Jamie Rivers. I'm Anthony Stalter. Andrew Marsh is here as well. Uh, the beauty, one of the beauties of the NCAA tournament is you start to root for certain teams because of your bracket or what have you. Uh, BK just said, come on, Marquette, come on. And all I, all I could think of is uh, go for Mons because I had USC as a, as a sleeper and they got trounced today by Michigan State. So... When you have a team going relatively far and, and they lose, you just root for chaos then. Oh, absolutely. Once your bracket, like Alex's bracket is thrown away because right. he had Oral Roberts, which I still can't get over that. Yeah, who could have seen it coming, really, that Literally they would end up losing in the first round and Alex <laughs> had them in the final four. It, it was a real shock to everybody that was watching who picked Duke to make it to the final I think four. the Marlins had more runs today than Oral Roberts had in the first, like, ten minutes of that first half. It was bad. I Iowa State today is doing their best Oral Roberts impression. That's basically what we're witnessing is a, is a rerun of last night's performance. So Alex is now rooting for chaos. Stalter, when you had your bracket ripped up to pieces, you should be doing the same. Yeah. I nearly had the same reaction when Xavier almost lost earlier today. If they had lost, I have them in the final four. It's over. Like, game over. Once you lose in the first round one of your final four teams, right. you have no chance to win. You're over. Like, just root for the chaos. Otherwise, continue rooting for your bracket, and that's where I'm at so far. I'm in a good spot right now, Stoltz. We're, we're, we're feeling good about this. Grant, I want you to fire up on the board the Christian Bale. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Because I, I want to fire it a couple of times at, at BK throughout What's the course of the show What's more annoying, fantasy football guy or bracket guy? 
Fantasy football. Guy. Fantasy football guy by a, by a, a long uh, shot. Because he's, he's just going to continue to talk. He'll talk, he'll talk, he'll talk about what he's, what he's thinking, what he's going to trade. trade, trade been, uh, tra- yeah. Exactly. I have a different side of that. Bracket guy normally has like 10 brackets. So in one bracket, bracket guy will be like, oh, man, I got a really good bracket. And you're like, all right, well, your other nine suck. <laughs> right, so, exactly, yeah. You, know, you had Iowa State advancing for the final right. four in this it's one. It's like you yeah. can't just come at me and say, oh, you got a really good bracket when you have like 10 of them. Right. No, that's a, that's a good call. But I, even that, I feel like people are like, oh, I don't, who did I have coming up? I don't know. I have to look at it. Fantasy football guy knows. He knows exactly who his wide receivers are. He can tell you when he drafted them. You're like, just stop. Yeah, I got this waiver claim in week six, and it's really working out. Yeah, yeah like, I cool, man. Great. Cool. Awesome. Congratulations. We're right. really happy you were- that you picked up the 49ers running back. That was me this year. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, that was, was me this year. <laughs> hey, it worked out. Fantastic. You were up at 4 a.m. when everybody else was uh, asleep. I really was. I was, was looking that waiver at the line. waivers. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's run through the current scores right now. Marquette up big against Vermont, 58-44, with just under 11 minutes to go in that one. Pittsburgh up 26-19, the last time out before half, uh, so they're right under four minutes in that one, but Pittsburgh up 26-19. Right now, Creighton, uh, 20-14 over NC State, seven minutes to go in the first half. Your finals from today, St. Mary's 63, VCU 51. So we only have one more shot at the 12 over 5 upset, and it's the one that everybody has. It's Drake over yeah. Miami. That's the one. I, I've got Drake on the money line in that one. I, I just am not convinced that Miami's particularly good. Sure. So I, I think I'm, I have the same response on that one as everybody else. Drake can shoot, and they're a good team. If you look at any of the advanced numbers, they're better than Miami this season. So everybody's on Drake. Uh, Baylor was trailing UC Santa Barbara by one at half. They won 74-56, so things got away from UC Santa Barbara in the second half. The other finals, Michigan State 72 over the aforementioned USC Trojans 62. And Xavier sweated in the second half. They were down by double digits at one point. They rallied. They beat Kennesaw State, the 14 seed, 72-67. You got some games tipping off here within the hour. Uh, UConn and actually only one, UConn and Iona. They're, they're at... 345. Go Gales. Go Gales in that one. You got a couple of Gale on Gale crime in the second round. That's That's what what he wanted. I got UConn winning it all, so let's not not have that. Uh, Stolter, we talked about it. It doesn't matter, I know. But UConn winning it all would still be, at least like, uh, at least you had UConn, you know? I don't seat. think you, I don't know. I don't think that works. Come on. Once you're out, you're out. You don't get to root for your champion. Well, let's you, you go just, Vermont. Let's go Vermont. <laughs> let's cause some chaos. Big catamount guy. Yeah. Speaking of the chaos, speaking of the chaos and I started to think about this. I'm like, eh, I don't know if this is any different than in any other year, but I still find it an interesting, uh, an interesting discussion. When it comes to these upsets, whether you're looking at Princeton over Arizona yesterday or, or Furman over Virginia or really any other time that Virginia didn't win at all, you know, the, the, the 16 seed who was at UMBC yep. beat, beat Virginia the one year. BK, what do you think the number one factor is when it comes to pulling off the upset in the NCAA tournament. I, I think the biggest thing that we're seeing right now is that the gap has never been smaller between the small school programs and the big school programs, and the reason why is because of the transfer portal. Right. Everything is a microwave bake for these teams. Like Illinois, for example, is the bad side of what the transfer portal can do to a team. Sure. It didn't work out. It, it never clicked the way that anybody was expecting. It looked good early in the season. They beat Texas. They beat UCLA. 
But then as you got further into the season and other teams started to make their strides, Illinois stagnated. And they were the same team in December as they were yesterday in the NCAA tournament. They just never coalesced the way that they thought they would. Right. So that's the downside. The upside is what we're seeing from Mizzou this year, where everything ends up working out. The guys come together. They do become a cohesive unit. And now you've got the potential to be able to go on a little bit of a run here. So I do think like the unease of that is what's made it possible for these smaller schools to be able to come away with some upsets. I also just think like team shooting more threes is a big part of it as well. Yeah. It's a make or miss league, and it's both sides. It's the smaller schools that are shooting at a really high rate, and the big schools are now shooting at a really high rate, and that just increases the variance. If you miss your shots as you know whoever it ends up being, UCLA or one of the big programs that went down yesterday, you're not going to be able to advance, and yeah. that's just the reality of it. I, I also think experience, you, know, you when you don't have one and done, so you don't have guys that you know are, gonna, are just going to simply advance to the NBA after one year. You can build a program that is sustainable. This is one of the reasons why Wichita State was so good for so long under Marshall. He had guys that he knew was, they were going to be there for four years. Fred Van Vliet is one of those Absol guys. It's absolutely. Like, you just build a program around that guy. Yeah. You've got, you know, uh, Baker was uh, Baker for a, a couple of years. You can build guys that are, that are going to stay, develop that cohesion. They're tournament tested because they, they make it, and all they need is kind of one run. You know, Loyola Chicago for a couple of years before they fell off this past year. They were, they were able to make a couple of deep runs. They had experience. They had guys that played together for a while. And then you, you get to the ultimate kind of balancer in that you're playing on different courts, unfamiliar courts, unfamiliar rims. And if you don't think that matters, they've actually done studies on this. It's not like the dimensions of football or the dimensions of a hockey rink. It's different. You're different, different rims. Depth perception. Depth, yeah, depth perception. Huge. What's behind the rims? I mean, it's 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 one of. I think it's the only home field slash home court advantage in all of sports is in college basketball, whether you're out at home or a neutral court. So I think that kind of levels things out a little bit from a talent standpoint. It's not the number one factor, but I think it is a factor. I think there's some truth to that. I mean, watch your team play at Allen Fieldhouse and. Tell me if there's home right. court advantage in college basketball. I promise you. I promise you there, there is, is at, yeah. at Allen Fieldhouse. Um, I, I think the three-point shot is if there's one change in the game that has led this, like other than just the roster movement part of it, it's how reliant teams are on the three. Yep. It's the good teams. It's the bad teams and everybody in between. They're all shooting them, and when you go quiet in any game – you open yourself up to a whole lot of opportunities for the underdog to be able to be in it. I think another little thing that you have to think about is the fans that are there that are not rooting for either side. It's the, the neutral fans, and they start to get a little uh, happy for the underdog. And so that team can take that momentum and carry that throughout a game, like any given game during you the tournament. You can feel it. You can yeah. feel it in the second half of a game. Like, for example, this isn't like a big-time team, but Creighton is playing NC State right now, and it's 24-22 with about three minutes to go in the first half. If NC State keeps this thing close, it's almost the reverse because one of them is the power program. It's the lower seed, but they're the underdog. If NC State keeps this thing mm -hmm. close late, the pressure then goes on to Creighton, and the crowd will turn yeah. on Creighton. They'll right. start rooting for <laughs> NC State. Well, right. It's weird how it happens, and it's really the only sporting event where that would be possible. And I'm sure there were Mizzou fans at the game yesterday that were cheering on Princeton, Princeton as they were course. making their yeah. late push. So. Absolutely. By the way, what was Pittsburgh up 22-2? to two? Yeah. Uh, would this count as a BKO? If it does happen, it's not 27-21. I told you guys not to watch anymore, so yeah, I think that that would count. Okay, all right. So Pittsburgh up 27-21 now. Marquette rolling Vermont by 20, 66-46.
That one's got uh, eight and a half minutes left. And then VK just mentioned the Crichton score. Crichton's up 24-22 on NC State with three and a half minutes left in the first half. What's the proper way to move on from a legacy player? And is there, way, is there a way? We're dealing with a local situation like this, and then there's a national one, too, we'll talk about. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Live from Max in downtown Alton, it's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie filling in for Jamie Rivers, Danger Marsh, and Anthony Stalter. I was thinking about legacy players because I was reading through some comments and you know listening to various hosts talk about the Aaron Rodgers situation and how stupid it was that the Packers are just going to go and you know, kind of roll with Jordan Love and why wouldn't you just welcome Aaron Rodgers back with open arms and all that stuff. And then I I got to thinking, too, about the Adam Wainwright situation and not that the Cardinals would ever entertain releasing Wayno, certainly not trading him, but, you know, in relation to his struggles from last year, he had over a 70 ERA in his his last six starts. This spring, there's been some question marks. We talked about it uh, earlier, earlier today. When, is there a proper way to move on from a legacy player? If they don't retire, they don't go out on top in their own Yachty, Albert even coming back, is there a proper way? Or is it always going to be a, a source of contention? The latter. Because the hardest thing in professional sports, and I've heard a million different coaches say this, but the one that I always apply it to is Stan Van Gundy. He's talked about this a lot. The hardest thing to do in sports is coach an aging superstar because they still feel like they could be the player that they were in their prime and they still want to be compensated as if they're the player that they were in their prime, but they don't have those same abilities later on in their career. And so it can be really difficult unless they're super self-aware to be able to get that guy the right contracts, to get them in the right role and to make sure that they're used in the proper ways later on in their careers. Right. So it's hard, man. Like every player is a little different. The Aaron Rodgers thing, I think, is very unique in that Rodgers has been a difficult person to work with his entire career. But for most of his career, the pro- the, the product on the field was so excellent that it outweighed anything that he was doing off of the field. The difficult, the frustrations that he had with the front office, the frustrations that he had with some of his own teammates. And now I think that he's at a point in his career where it doesn't any longer for the Packers. They're saying, you know what? We don't need to deal with this anymore yeah we're done you do this every year it ends up limiting what we're able to do in free agency we can't do the same things in the draft that we want to because we're waiting on you Aaron we're done we're washing our hands of this you figure it out in New York go do your thing so I think his is particularly unique because of who he is as an individual but none of these things are easy and I don't think there's a right way to handle it each case is a case-by-case basis yeah there's no there's no playbook right there's No. no rule book on it Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers has turned into what Barry Bonds was for the Giants. Barry Bonds was so prickly, so difficult to manage, so difficult to, if you were a teammate, get close to. But he was just so ridiculously good that you just put up with it. And as an organization... You just kind of smile and grit your teeth and say, oh, well, you know, this guy's the best. He's the best. Now, the steroid thing and all that, push, push that aside. I mean, Barry Bonds 
bef before getting on the Flintstone vitamins, was still one of the best baseball players ever. I mean, Is that what was, he was taking? I yeah, used to take yep. those as a kid, yeah, and I didn't look like that. I think Sammy Sosa, actually, I think it was Sosa that did the yeah. Flintstone vitamins. It was the flaxseed oil yeah. that, oh, that Bonds was gotcha. doing. Gotcha. Yeah. I definitely didn't take that. Yeah. Uh, he must have took a lot. He took a lot of it. Yeah. Anyways, but that, that's kind of what, what it was with Rodgers, too. You're right. Rodgers, it got to the point where... All right, let's just, let's just move on here. I don't blame the Packers at all. I don't blame them one bit. You got, you got one more year of Jordan Love. Ah, you might stink with Jordan Love. I know. But you move on. What are you going to, you're going to continue to do this song and dance with Rodgers? Until he finally decides that he's going to retire? And when is that going to be? He's been talking about retirement the last three years now. He said he had a 90% chance of retiring this year. Yeah, when he was going into the darkness. And I, I said this. I haven't heard anybody else. The, how, how fired up are you if you're the Jets? And I know you're the Jets. You're the most desperate team in, in professional yeah. sports. Their last good quarterback was Mark Sanchez. And that, go, that tells you everything. That tells you everything about yeah. the history of the Jets quarterback. They're desperate. And when you're desperate, you yeah. convince yourself that this is worth it. Right. And honestly, for the Jets, it probably is. Because yeah. what are their alternatives? Now, if I was in charge of the Jets, and it's a good thing that I'm not, I would be way over budget, and our team would go like 4-13 and 13 the next 10 years as a result of that. But I would be going after Lamar Jackson. Yeah. He's legitimately good. I think right now, at this point in their respective careers, I think he's better. I would want him more than Aaron Rodgers. And also... He's like 27, 28 years old. Rodgers is 39. Rodgers could retire after next year. The, yep. the odds, like if you're a betting man, Stoltz, I would imagine the odds, the favorite is that you get one season out of Aaron Rodgers this year. And yep. let's be honest. I, we did this earlier today. I think he's like the seventh best quarterback in the AFC. I think if he came back next year in the NFC, you could argue he's at a minimum top three. The AFC is just deep, man. You've got Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Burrow, Lawrence, Lamar. Those guys are all really good, and they're all pretty damn young. It's not going to be an easy path. I don't have the Jets making the playoffs, even with Aaron Rodgers. It's tough, man, but it's worth it if you're the Jets because this is the only high upside play that you have left if you're legitimately out on Lamar. And if you're the Packers, you've kind of already done this song and dance with Brett Favre. So you, and you mentioned that a couple days ago when Michelle was on the show that They've sort of already been through this whole entire situation. Brett Favre sort of yeah. did some of the some some of the same things. Different same, faces, but di at the same, like sure. different different people had to deal with but it. But from it's still a fan perspective, if you're trying to look at it and be like, "All right, well, you know, yeah. we, we want this guy to to go out a Packer because he did so much for our organization." Right. Just look at Brett Favre. Like, do Packer fans still like Brett Favre? Like, I'm not a Packer fan, but I would assume they they do. Because, I think so because eventually, yeah, time like you heals get over wounds. that. Maybe they don't like the kind of guy he is because he's been doing some shady stuff. Right. I, I, there, I, to me, there's definitely a way to not go about it, and that's what the L.A. Kings did with Jonathan Quick. Right. Just trading him like that and not really giving him a heads up. So, from the overall picture of what this question is. I think there's a way to not go about it. Right. And that's a way to not go but about it. But you're going to upset somebody. Yeah. It, again, we're talking about legacy players. You're going to upset somebody unless they just flat out retire. Last thing on this, though. I, I think the difference, the main difference between Favre and Rodgers. Favre throughout still put on that good southern, you know, I'm just a country boy doing Wrangler, my thing. Wrangler jeans Wrangler jeans. Yeah, so he was still relatable. Now he goes to New York, and then everything comes out with, you know, the pictures and all that. And you're like, <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, Green Bay did a good yeah. job maybe hiding some of this other stuff. He that, wishes that he on. had the, uh, the, the new iPhone update where you can, you can delete text messages. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, but with Aaron Rodgers, he has not been relatable at all. 
Nobody in Green Bay, Wisconsin's going, I too like Hiawaska you know, drinks or whatever it is and also go into a cave to just kind of reconnect with myself. I, I, nobody in Green Bay, Wisconsin's doing that. So I think that's a major difference, too. I think people are probably ready to move on from that. I heard you guys talking about this the other day. Aaron Rodgers is Kyrie Irving, who is Trevor Bauer, setting aside, again, some of the off-field yeah, yeah. stuff. Like, the, who they are, how they relate to others, the pompous way that they go about it, totally. and, like, holier than thou. It, yeah. it is really hard to put yourself in their corner. Mm-hmm. It's like, the I, complete opposite of what we were talking about earlier today with, with Lars. the Lars Newt yes. situation. Absolutely. All right, it's Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. If you have a question for us, great. Send it into the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll do our sports six-pack next, live from Max in downtown Alton. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I have a question. It's time for the Fast Lane to answer your sports questions. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. Answer the question. Answer the question. Asking me all these weird questions. Answer me! The Sports Six Pack is refreshed by Schlafly Beer, the original St. Louis craft brewery. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. Time for our Sports 6 back with Brandon Kiley. I'm Anthony Salter live from Max in downtown Alton. What do you got, Marsh? All Question right. number one. From the 618. All right, Ranthony, I'm here and listening. Give me the worst soccer notes in the biz, but with some emotion behind it. Let's go City 4-0. Oh, you don't get those until after the game. No pregame notes no, for, no uh, pre-game for us notes. fans? No, I got I to gotta be able to react. Ranthony always reacts. <laughs> He's not proactive at all. Uh, but I'll, don't, don't worry. I'll come Monday, I will get you those those soccer notes for sure. But how cool is it? You're going you're going for four straight wins. You're an expansion team. Everybody in the MLS is is you know got you circled now because I would imagine some animosity will start growing in other in other locations. Like okay, this expansion team thinks it's good. That that's only that's only good for the the MLS, a team that nobody really expected to to, to be where it's at. Has started off fast. The crowd is awesome. In uh, you know the their first home game was great. It's it's a lot of fun. We talk, we let up the show with this. You've got the local teams. You got th- essentially four local teams in action this weekend. I was more impressed with City last week than I was in their first two games even, and I was super impressed with their first two games. Last week felt like it was the first time that I said, I think this might be sustainable. Like, what they're doing might be real because they didn't, they weren't gift wrapped a, a goal last week. They were in the first two games of the season. And this was on the road in a really difficult environment. You've now won in Austin and in Portland, two of the more raucous environments in MLS. St. Louis City's favored against San Jose. San Jose's one and two on the season so far. If you're able to get to 4-0, I know T-Bone broke it down on, like, what the other really good teams that were expansion teams have done over the last 20 years. You start joining the company that is incredibly limited in terms of what you're able to do in the first, you know, eighth of the season, the first 15% of the season. Teams that did this that were expansion teams typically went on to make the playoffs, and there's not a whole lot of them that have. So um, City winning again this weekend would be yet another reminder that 
This might be sustainable, and they might actually be a playoff team in year one, which was way out of any of our expectations for it, this team. You know, the, the other thing, too, and, and take this for what it is, I it's not like I know the league, but I haven't been blown away by anybody else. You know, like, even when you talk about the, the goals that, that were, you know, a couple of own goals and the mistakes that led to goals in the first two games, there's there's never been a point in a game that I've seen thus far where City has has looked like they have been overmatched. I thought the, the first half of the game against Portland, I was like, oh, wow, these guys are fast. And they came out they came out humming, the Timbers did. But then it looked like City kind of, you know, they, they got into place. I, Portland might have had a few injuries, too, at the beginning of that match that I'm not going to say it helped City by any means. But it, so, it somewhat slowed the game down because it was a real fast-paced game in that first half. Uh, the first few minutes of the game, and there was a few injuries, some stoppage time, and from there, I think City was able to collect themselves and and really find their game. Other than that, yeah, I completely agree with you. It, it is worth noting, Stoltz, that the teams that they're going up against are not exactly like the best of the best in sure. MLS so far. Yeah. This this week is a continuation of that. The best team they played so far, according to Vegas, is Austin. Mm -hmm. uh, Austin FC is considered to be like a upper middle part of MLS in terms of the quality of the team. We'll see as the schedule continues what they look like against the high-level opponents. But so far, they've been able to take – all you can do is play the teams that are on your schedule. Right. And they've taken care of them thus far. Question number two. From the 314, do we really think hockey is headed in a good direction, cutting out fighting in some of the junior leagues and trying to eliminate it in the NHL? I think that the, the, the league should allow the players to police themselves in certain situations. What I don't want is what we see sometimes in the NFL, NFL when the officiating crews do not have a handle on the game and it becomes so chippy that the action gets choppy. And to me, I don't know how anybody else feels, but as a fan, I'm like, all right, come on, let's get back to the game. If that happens in the NHL, then I think it should scale itself back. But I think, the, again, the, the league should allow, the players should allow, uh, the league should allow the players to police themselves. Same thing in baseball. I think something that happens in sports, and fans always get upset about it, and I get it to a degree because it, teams are trying to build for winning, not necessarily for what makes the most enjoyable product. In baseball, why do teams invest in home run hitters that strike out so much? Because that's what they have found to be the best way to build an, a roster. That, that's how they build winners. It's not as much fun to watch as a guy that's hitting right. 300 with a 320 on base percentage, but it ends up potentially winning them more. Why do teams shift? Because it was seen to be something that worked. It was effective. Um, why in basketball do teams get rid of the mid-range jumpers in favor of dunks, layups, and three-pointers? Because that is the way that over time you have the best chance to win. In hockey, the reason I bring that all, all up is because teams are deciding, even without the rule changes, our best way to win is not to have a fighter on the fourth line, but is, is instead to have a guy that has some hockey sense. And I know that it's frustrating and it's not as enjoyable to watch as what we saw, especially here in the 90s in St. Louis. But regardless of what the rules are, I think NHL teams are naturally doing this. So even if the league did or didn't change the rules, I think we're going to see less and less of it as we continue because it's proven that a lot of these teams just don't necessarily value it the way that they once did. I agree right, wrong or indifferent? Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. It, you know, over the years, the fighting has diminished but at the same time i don't think you can get rid of it altogether because you know you have a jacob truba coming across the blue line and throwing an elbow up and you know taking your guy out for who knows an extended amount of time if he has a concussion 
how do you police that if you're a player? Like, how do you let that guy know, hey, you can't do that? Finish your checks. Like, that. Like the truth right. is that's the way that right. teams are doing this right now. Like, you watch the Blues game, and I, a lot of people get frustrated because they don't respond that way um, with a fight or, like, the Bennington situation the other day. Why didn't yeah. Justin Falk take care of that instead of having to have Bennington do it? Because that's just... Again, right, wrong, or indifferent, that's not the way that the game operates today. It, it, I feel like changed. you don't need to fight, though. Like, Pavel Buchnevich was given a, a little stinky glove the other day. Like, just something like that. Like, make sure that's you're mix, still in the game, mixing though. it up, I, I don't think like, The Blues I, I, don't do that, like, at all. I think sometimes we take this to, like, the nth degree. I don't think they're eliminating fighting in hockey. Well, they, I, they are in the QMJHL. Understood. I'm, I'm talking about the NHL, though, because that's sure. what we, are, we watch on a night-to-night basis. You're not watching the Q? I, I'm not. Not much. <laughs> I, I don't think they're eliminating it. I think they're limiting it, and I think the teams are doing it yeah. more so than what the rules are. So yeah. I don't know. Question number three. From the 636, who do you think wins the World Baseball Classic? Wow. Uh... I mean, <laughs> with the way with the way Japan has played, that's going to be pick. that's going to be tough. So, I mean, I, I don't know what the odds are, but I imagine Japan's probably pro there's probably a lot of chalk in relation to Japan. But I, I would I would pick Japan. They have the best combination of pitching and offense. That would be my choice as well. I would go with Team Japan. Um, if I'm going with somebody else, I mean Puerto Rico, what they were able to do the other night was super impressive against the Dominican. Um, if you're looking for a longer odds team, that would probably be the one. Right now, the favorite in Vegas is Japan at plus 165, then Team USA at uh, plus two, 210, which means bet $100, you could win $210. I think the pitching is going to catch up to the U.S. I think so, too. Question I mean, you might be number watching, four. You might be watching the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. or kind of, a, kind of a, a microcosm of the Cardinals, where the offense is going to be good, pitching is going to be fine for a while, and then the pitching is going to cost them. Uh, expanding on that from the 314, what do you think of Yadier Molina and his mana, mana, managerial experience? He's been, I mean, uh, as BK just mentioned with Team Puerto Rico, he's, he's been great. But this is, this is somebody who did own the, 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 the basketball team in his home country, wound up winning a championship there. He's got, he's got a passion for it. He, I imagine, I mean, we all know his baseball IQ is off the charts. I imagine that he's also able to, re to, to relay that. You know, some guys, Jamie's talking about Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky just saw the game differently, and he couldn't really convey that to his teammates or to his, his players when he was a coach. I, I don't think that's the case with Yadier Molina. I, I think he's able to relate that. So I, this, this, I think, is the expectation for me with Yadier. Do you promise not to yell at me, everybody, on the text line? Promise? Uh-oh. What? I think he's been solid, but I, I I think Yachty as a manager would not go well in MLB. I think that the amount of media that you have to do as a manager would yeah, frustrate the heck out of him. I don't think he would like being told, hey, here are the numbers behind the decisions that we want you to make. Yeah. I don't think that would go over particularly well with Yachty. The other day... He said he was between two pitchers to start and then started a different one. And said, and when asked why he decided to go with that pitcher, he said, because I wanted to. <laughs> and, like, good for Yachty? Yeah. I don't know how it would go for him as a manager in Major League No, baseball. I think that's a good call. He, I, I think, think he, he could be a very good bench coach for somebody. I'm not sure how it would go with him as the, the head man. You had me when you said the media aspect. I don't think Yachty was ever a big fan of the media. I think he – Can't confirm. I promise you he wasn't. <laughs> You know, he's kind of one of the, he's he's one Brandon. of those players and coaches that viewed viewed and Matheny was this way. 
Matheny viewed the media as a detriment. Matheny viewed the media as, you know, you should be kind of happy to be here and, uh, you know, feel good about being along for the ride. But I'm not going to give you anything. And, and managers can be that way. That's fine. But I, I think Yachty you better be damn good if you're going to be that way, though. That's true. Matheny was not. So we just uh, got multiple texts within the last two minutes. Uh, from 636, why do Stalter and BK hate America? Fair question. And also, <laughs> a different 636, damn, BK hates Yachty. So, uh, hate America and Yachty and Apple Pie. That's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's really the trio right but there. But he doesn't hate NCAA action right here at Max in downtown Alton. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN, and we have the gauntlet coming up next. Where's it? Is Owen here? Is yeah, he's right Owen there. Him? He's wearing his oh, blue there's hat. Owen. He was, oh. behind, he was behind this pillar here. So, all right, Owen's going to take on either Marsh or myself next in the gauntlet on 101 ESPN. To the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Can you survive the gauntlet? All right, time for the gauntlet here in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Our guy Owen is now two and zero in Max in downtown Alton. This is this is home court advantage for Owen. You got a lot of hecklers to the right, at least for either Marsh or I today. Uh, so this this is going to be tricky again playing on the road for the fast lane. But Owen, how you doing? I'm doing good. You fired up about that Mizzou win yesterday? Oh, I'm so excited. Or are you drowning in your Illinois sorrows, just like our boy T-Bone behind you? Nope, Mizzou all the way. All right, That's there what I'm you talking go. About. BK's big right. Mizzou guy. Always been a big Owen fan, <laughs> especially so. when he beat Alex yesterday. Oh, that was great. This yeah. is just delicious. So speaking of that, so you beat you beat Alex yesterday. So that was essentially ja- the Jamie fill-in. So. Marsh or I today? That's that's your options. And if you win today, then on Monday you'll have an opportunity to win a gauntlet trophy against the other person. So would you like to take on Marsh or myself today? I'll take on you. Okay, darn oh, it. Sorry. I'm not worried about this. I don't I don't play well on the road. You already beat me once. It's a revenge spot for me though, so I'm fired up. Good luck, Owen. See you, boys. All right. Owen, you know uh, the deal. You gotta ask Grant. He's back in the studio. Let him spin the wheel and we'll get this thing going. All right, let's spin that wheel. All right, so yesterday you had football. Is there a category today that you're hoping to get? I know you have a blues hat on, so is it hockey? I know you took on Jamie last year in hockey. Yeah, it didn't that was really pretty go tough. So well. The hockey was pretty tough. All right, let's see what it is. What do we got, Grant? All right, Owen, you do have hockey today. It's been a while <laughs> since the hockey. All right, let's get these uh, launch codes, as uh, Anthony likes to call them. So... Hockey it is today for Owen. Anthony, not that great at hockey either, so uh, we'll see what we got going on here. For everyone listening, if you do not know the rules, Owen has the opportunity to score one point if he asks for the options, two if he gets the question right without using the options, and, of course, if you don't get it right, zero points for yourself. So let's start it off. Question number one, the longest game in Blues history was played in the 2014 playoffs against which team? tough one take the options your options are the chicago blackhawks the los angeles kings or the minnesota wild let's go with the blackhawks final answer yep all right owen question number two which player has scored more goals against the blues in his career than any other active nhl player which active nhl player has scored the most goals against the blues in his career I'll go with Patrick Kane. Final answer? Yep. 
All right, question number three. What was the name of the Penguins' backup goaltender who became known last year for eating spicy pork and broccoli between periods before having to unexpectedly enter a game in overtime? I'll take the options. Options are Casey DeSmith, Louis Domingue, or Dustin Tokarski? Louis Domingue. Final answer? Yep. All right, Owen. Question number four, final question for you. Which team choked away a 3-1 to one series lead in the first round of the playoffs last year? Toronto Maple Leafs. Final answer? Yep. All right. We need to get Anthony Stalter back in here. T-Bone. Owen, how are you feeling? How do you feel about your opportunity to beat Stoltz in hockey today? Not too good. Not too good? Yeah. I think Stoltz has his work cut out for him personally. Be curious to see how Stoltz does on this one. Stoltz, what are you hoping for? Which which category do you hope that we landed on? Football. All right. Which well, category do you not want? Hockey. All right. You ready, Anthony? Yes. Which superhero oh. in the first Avengers Infinity War was the first to die? Great question. I have no idea. Can well, I have some options? No, you, you won't. The longest game in Blues history was played in the 2014 playoffs against which team? The longest game in NHL history, you said? Or Blues, Blues history. history. Blues, Blues history. history was played in 2014, regular season or postseason, or did you playoffs. say postseason? Playoffs, okay. 2014. Was that the run that they had? No, that couldn't have been the run that they had. That was, what, 2016 when they did that? It was not the cup run. I'll eliminate that for you. Right, and it wasn't the run that they had against uh, Chicago and Dallas and San Jose. So who else have they played? I think they played San Jose a couple of times in the postseason, if I remember correctly. But I'll get the options. Your options are the Chicago Blackhawks, the Los Angeles Kings, or the Minnesota Wild. Uh... I'm going to go with the Kings. The Kings were excellent in those, the early 2000s. I'll go with the LA Kings. All right, so it's question number two. Which NHL active player has scored the most career goals against the Blues? Most goals in his career against the Blues. In his career against the Blues. McKinnon comes to mind, but has it been that long of a stretch? I'll narrow it down. Can I have the options? Your options are Jamie Benn, Anze Kopitar, or Patrick Kane. Man, I'll go Kane. That one makes sense. Final answer? Final answer. Question number three. What was the name of the Penguins' backup goaltender? who became known last year for eating spicy pork and broccoli between periods before having to unexpectedly enter a game in overtime. <laughs> I have no idea. It's a great story, though. I have the options, please. Options are Casey DeSmith, Louis Domingue, or Dustin Tokarski. Casey DeSmith. Final answer? Final answer. All right, Stoltz. Your final question today. Which team choked away a 3-1 to one series lead in the first round of the NHL playoffs last season? First round, they were up 3-1. to one. 
in a series. Oh, man. Uh, is that Toronto? I can't be doing well. I'm going to take a shot here. I'm going to take a shot with Toronto. They always break their fan bases hard. So I'll go Toronto. Final answer. All right. All right. Let's go over these questions. Boy, this wheel hates me, Owen. <laughs> let's go over these. Let's start with the first one. The longest game in Blues history was played in the 2014 playoffs against which team? Both of you took the options. Owen, you said the Blackhawks. Anthony, you said the Kings. The correct answer is the Blackhawks. Nice. Good job, Owen. So one nothing in favor of Owen. Let's go to question number four. Which team choked away a 3-1 series lead in the first round of the playoffs last season? Owen, you said the Toronto Maple Leafs. Didn't use the options. Anthony? You said the Toronto Maple Leafs didn't use the options. You would think it'd be the <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs. The correct answer is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Oh, oh wow, the Penguins. So we're still knotted up. Or we're, actually, Owen's got a one nothing lead. All right, question number three. Or let's, let's go to question number two. Which player has scored the, mo uh, the most goals against the Blues in his career? Which active player? Owen, you said Patrick Kane. Anthony, you said Patrick Kane. The correct answer is Patrick Kane. But Owen didn't use the options. Yeah, good job, <laughs> Owen. Owen is up 3-1 to one on Anthony. Comes down to this one. What was the name of the Penguins' backup goaltender who became known last year for eating spicy pork and broccoli between periods before having to unexpectedly enter a game in overtime? Owen, you said Louis Domingue. You used the options. You said, Anthony... Casey DeSmith, you use the options. The correct answer is Louis Domingue. Oh, yeah. Owen! Good job, Owen. You have Way to go. Wisely. <laughs> well done. 3 0 here at uh, Max in downtown Alden is Owen. Must be my luck charm. I don't think, yeah, this is just all skill right now. Well, what well an impressive done, performance that was. He said afterwards, Salt, he didn't feel good about it. Didn't feel good about his performance. That's what true champions say, you know? They're like, ah, it was okay today, but nice job, Owen. So we'll have to call you. You're going to have uh, Marsh on Monday. Mm -hmm. Sound good? Yep. All right, nice job there. Everybody give Owen a big round of applause here at Max in downtown hey, Alden. He's again 3 0 in this building. He's been incredible. One, he beat me last year and then got Alex yesterday and uh, beat me again today. So nice job. All right, we will come back with what we got next here, Marsh. Talk a little Jack Flaherty. This isn't, we're, we don't have the five o'clock hour today because we have, we have Blues pregame. Normally, five o'clock is when we start to troll listeners with like Jack Flaherty talk and other polarizing players. So we'll just move the Flaherty discussion uh, to now. So we'll do that next here in the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Pittsburgh has opened up a 10-point lead over Iowa State with under 12 minutes remaining in the second half. They're up 36-26, or the, or the Panthers. NC State has given Crichton a game. It's 41-all, a lot of time left, 12 and a half minutes left in the second half. And Iona is giving uh, UConn 
some issues. 30 to 27. The Gales are up on UConn. 515 remaining in the first half. So a lot of time there. If you're looking for some finals from earlier, I'll run through them real quick. St. Mary's 63 over VCU 51. Marquette 70, 78 to 61 over Vermont. Baylor 74-56 over UC Santa Barbara. Michigan State 72. USC 62. Xavier survives Kennesaw State 72-67. At one point, Xavier trailed by double digits in the second half, only to rally in the second half and win 72-67. We have not seen an upset yet. Uh, even if Pittsburgh holds on, it wasn't a huge upset for Pittsburgh over Iowa State. It's like that dreaded sixth seed, BK. Well, that's the thing is like a lot of the time what you'll see with these, um, the play-in game in particular, those teams are like ready to go. We, you mentioned this to me earlier. It seems like every year there's a play-in team that ends up getting to the Sweet 16 potentially. Yeah. And this would be a continuation of that trend. Let me get that up because I keep, I keep throwing out that statistic and I know I could find it quickly. All right, here you go for the play-in games. In 10 of the 11 tournaments, the first four has existed. So out of 11 tournaments that the first four has been around, 10 times at least one of those teams, an at-large bid, so an 11 seed that also played in the first four, has gone on to the second round. If you remember a couple of years ago, that was UCLA. Yep. And they made a deep run. That was the Final Four year, right? Yes. When they so made they, it? they played in, for, in the first four, wound up making a uh, run into the Final Four. So whether it's Pittsburgh now or Arizona State later, it, 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 you're right. They kind of just get their – their feet under them. They get that early win on that, fir that first night, and then they keep rolling. It's Fastlane on 101 ESPN. We're live from Max in downtown Alton. Plenty of, uh, you know, screens to watch the, the action this weekend. Come on down, say hello, and enjoy the tournament down here. Cardinals win today, I think, what is it, 16-1 to over the Marlins. It was ugly. Jack Flaherty has looked sharp thus far in spring training. Not a ton of action, but the reports have all been positive. I don't want to say has your expectations for Flaherty changed because I think that's going to be a resounding no for most people. Has your hope changed? Like coming into the spring training, it's like uh, you're optimistic or you're cautiously optimistic. Because has your hope changed that Jack Flaherty can be a very productive player? Whether he's the number one and number two and number what has your hope changed that this could be an impressive year for Jack Flaherty. It's so rare for me to change any of my expectations for a player based on what they're doing in spring training. Now, it can happen where a guy is just awful. Like, you get a severe decline in velocity. Like, stuff that could potentially carry over into the regular season that is worth monitoring and does kind of hone in and uh, tamp down some of your expectations. But it's pretty rare. The only guy that I would say has, like, raised my level of expectations based on his performance in the spring is Jordan Walker. Everybody yeah. else, like, could it sustain? Maybe Brendan Donovan with the power. That's something worth monitoring because of the power that he's shown so far in the spring. But for Jack Flaherty specifically, no. Nothing for me has changed based on what we've seen so far. We know he's talented. The question is, can he stay healthy? Yeah. And if he can stay healthy, I think he can put together a very nice season for the Cardinals. If he's not then the Cardinals are going to be looking for a number one starter once we get to the trade deadline. This, so nothing's changed for me. This isn't, this isn't the best comparison, but BK, you're a football guy as well. I was thinking a lot about the reaction to the Darren Waller trade. And everybody's like, wow, the Giants absolutely fleeced the Raiders. And maybe they did, based on talent. Darren Waller hasn't been available. You could talk about the talent all you want. You could talk about that player at his best and what you're getting out of that player. He's got to be available. Darren Waller hasn't played a lot 
over the last couple of years. Yeah, when he's on the field, he's a difference maker. But the Giants aren't getting a complete player that's on the field constantly, or else he wouldn't be a Giant. He would still probably be with the Raiders. Or the price tag would have been a lot higher than a third-round pick. Jack Flaherty hasn't, hasn't been available over the last year and a half. I'm well aware of what he did in the second half in 2019. I'm well aware before, you know, what was it the first half of 2021 coming off the pandemic year? That he was great before the injuries occurred. But then it's been one injury after another, after another, after another. One of your biggest assets as a player is being available, being durable. And teams will pay for that. Yeah. I think it's one thing, BK, and I don't want to talk for you, but that's one thing I don't talk enough about, is whether or not a player is durable because if he is, teams know I know exactly what I'm getting out of this player and I'm willing to pay for it. It's not just about the talent. So when it comes to like the hope and our expectations and maybe they're one and the same, I'm with you. And, it's, and it, it, nothing's going to change until Jack Flaherty does it for several months. Certainty is what you pay for. Mm-hmm. That's what you pay for. And that includes both the numbers that you think they're going to put up, but also the availability. Nolan Arenado. For example, I remember talking, this was right before, right when it was announced who the All-Stars were going to be for the Cardinals last year, and they hadn't been announced publicly yet, so we weren't able, allowed to broadcast any of this, but we were able to play it the next day. Ollie Marmol is talking to us, and it's after one of the Cardinals games, and I asked him about Nolan Arenado. I said, hey, you know, he's, he's made a million of these things, but what does it say about Nolan Arenado that he was able to make yet another All-Star game? And he said, you know, the thing about Nolan that impresses me is that the guy is available every single day. He's the same guy every day. He said his back, he wakes up, his back is on fire, but he does whatever is necessary to be able to play that night, and he ends up putting up the numbers that you always expect out of him. He said that's what makes an all-star versus just a really good player that has the ability any given day to be able to produce. Sure. That's the difference between the stars and the guys that have the potential to be stars. So for Jack Flaherty, what he's got to do this year, and he's got a lot of money on the line to do this, he's got to produce, man. He's got to be available to post every fifth day. That can't change with what he does in spring training. That can't show up on a radar gun. That's got to be proven over the course of 30-plus starts this season. That's what's on the line for Jack Flaherty, and there's no way that he can change my expectations based on what he does in a spring training. Game. That's Brandon Kiley. I'm Anthony Stalter. It's a fast lane on 101 ESPN. Pittsburgh up 40 to 30. Nine and a half minutes left to go in the second half of that game. The 11-6 matchup. Creighton starting to pull away a little bit. Plenty of time, though. Ten minutes remaining in that one. 49-44. The Blue Jays have the lead over the Wolfpack. And we're all tied up between UConn and Iona. 320 remaining in the first half of that one. Those are the three games that are going on right now. Biggest question of the day next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Fast Lane's biggest question of the day. From Max in downtown Alton, it's the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie filling in for Jamie Rivers today. I'm Anthony Stalter. Here's Andrew Marsh with the biggest question of the day. All right, we got a question from Daryl. Daryl asks, why do some people believe the WBC should be canceled over an injury? And are some Americans taking the World Baseball Classic for granted? For granted? Oh, I see, because they're, they're deciding not to play. I, I think... I, I, I'm assuming the fans are the fans because you look at some of the, of the other countries playing around the world. They have a, 
a lot of excitement yeah. towards this tournament. Whereas us Americans, you know, we have I think basketball that, going on. Like we look at the look at the United look at the USA roster. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And we're not really talking about it all that much. Uh, I think that I think that says more about people's love for their MLB team than it does about their interest maybe in the WBC. That's my opinion on it. And you're right. I mean, you're talking about the first round of the NCAA tournament going on. At least for us locally, City is playing their fourth fourth game. The Battle Hawks playing their fourth game. People are interested in still in like the Cardinal storylines and things like that. What happens out in California? If you don't have a good football team, people just kind of shrug emoji and move on. They've got so many other things to watch. You get in the Midwest, or like my Packers, my Bears. This is everything. You know, I, I I think there's there's if there's something else to draw your attention to, I think that's what winds up happening. I do think there's a difference in interest in like the Caribbean countries. Japan is very invested in this. I I think there is a legitimate difference. Like Tyler O'Neill spoke today about what the World Baseball Classic meant to him and why he decided to go over and play. He said the games are so intense, it's country versus country. You just never see crowds like we saw for this. Not even in the playoffs for MLB. He said, looking at Miami, it's so rowdy and intense down there. The players are so into it, it's special. I'm a full supporter of the World Baseball Classic. Then Yadier Molina was asked about that Edwin Diaz injury that took place the other day. He said, this tournament, it means a lot for us. To be able to play for our country, that means a lot. I, I do think there are other countries where it just means more to them for this, even than it does at times. And I know baseball fans don't want to hear this. Like Cardinals fan, you don't want to hear this. Yeah. I think there are players in Major League Baseball that would trade wins in Major League Baseball for winning in the World Baseball Classic. I saw a TikTok today, some of the guys from the Dominican Republic saying that winning the World Baseball Classic would be more important to them than winning the World Series. I think because it means more well, to some guys. There you go. Nelson Cruz even said, he goes, if anything, this is the World Series because it has all the teams from the entire world playing in right. this tournament. And I don't think that is the case for the U.S. I think right. No. Maybe, maybe there's some of the guys on the team that feel that way. Maybe. I don't think as fans we view it that way at for all. Sure. Whereas I think like fans from Puerto Rico, I don't know if you guys saw any of the videos or the pictures that were coming out of Miami. Dude, that crowd was intense. They're like dancing on the dugouts and stuff. Yeah. It, it was like a World Series type of environment. And so they do view it that way. So I, I think there's a big difference in the way that we view it here versus some of these other countries. 100%. And I think that plays into it. But well, should it be canceled? No, because no, of this. No, no. Like, look at the way that this was embraced by yeah. so many different people. Look at the crowds. It's, it is a lot of fun. Unfortunately, there's no good place to put it in the calendar. Right. Like you can't have like Not a November. World Cup. You can't have it in the middle <laughs> of the season. There's right. just no good place to put it. No, because after the season's over, guys most of the guys down. are already shut down. Yeah. There's injuries that have taken place. I don't want my like number one starter going and playing in the World Baseball Classic. I want him resting. Well, that's that's the thing too, right? What do we talk about going into the the WBC? Us as Americans. Well, they, Mark DeRosa better not pitch my guy too long. Right. We got a season to consider. So it's just it's just a different in, uh, difference of, of mindset in mindset. But no, I am with BK. You, you can't cancel this because of one injury. I mean, it, it, look, it's unfortunate that the Mets now don't have their closer for the entire season. He's a damn good closer, one of the best in baseball. But it's just it's injuries injuries can happen at any point. Unfortunately, it's just it's part of the game, and it and it doesn't really matter what game you're talking. So that about. was a freak injury. If this well, was that's him, what like, I'm wondering. trying to rear back and get to 102, and he ended up like hurting his arm. That's right. one thing. He was celebrating. Yeah. This, right. was, this, this was basically Bill the Kendrick's well, morale. They would be celebrating yeah. in spring yeah. training, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
I don't know. Some of those games get intense. Yeah, but it is. It's Bill Chromatica. First quarter, hopping around like a psychopath after you kicked a 37-yard field goal and you blow out your knee. Remember Kendris Morales celebrating yes. and messing a- at up? At home? Yeah. 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 And he's... He ended up missing like a year and a half of baseball as a result of that. And there's nothing you can do to prevent it. It's just part of the game. It's unfortunate, but it's part of it. All right, we've got fade or follow. Yeah, and we're we bringing Rob back. We don't have Jamie or his pick. Don't worry, I've been looking. I've been looking. Jamie. Uh, do you stick with soccer if that's the question? I say no. I mean, you guys have been doing really well so far in the in the tournament. So I think we BK should. has. We do, we do agree, though. I feel like we... We really agree on one team that's playing a little bit later on. Uh, see, I feel bad not going to yep. going against what we've been doing, you know? Jamie's been doing that, though. I know, but I'm thinking about Rob right now. Ro- here's, here's the best part about it. It's fade or follow. That's true. He, he, Rob can say, no, Jamie's not there. He's not giving us his soccer wisdom. We reached out to Jamie. It was his birthday yesterday. Happy, yep. happy birthday, Jamie. He ghosted us, yeah. doesn't care about us, doesn't care about Rob. Doesn't care about the all. show. Doesn't care about the show. These are all facts. If he cared about Rob, he would have sent in his pick for fade or follow. That's a good point. He would have wanted to call in and talk about Mizzou basketball. Yeah, if know? he cared. Yeah. But basically, Jamie's given us a big blank you, and I don't appreciate it at all. And we'll have a conversation with Jamie. But we still have a job to do, and it's fade or follow. So we'll have a pick for Rob, and he could fade us or follow us. Next. I want to win ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for FanDuel Fade or Follow on the Fast Lane. Brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. Everyone follow us. I'll fade. I'll fade. Money, 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 money. It's the Fast Lane on 101 ESPN. We are at Max in downtown Alton with Brandon Kiley. I'm Anthony Stalter. Andrew Marsh here as well. And Rob is back for a, what, third straight week now? Fourth. Fourth straight week. I think That's it's right. four. Yeah. So three straight city games. Jamie went with the over in three straight city games. Jamie, yep. as we mentioned, Rob, he, he, didn't, he didn't think highly enough of you or us to call in and or text us his pick. We we reached out to him, and he ghosted us. So just want to start off with an apology from our guy, Jamie. Oh, boy. We're going to have to get the rib, man. Now, you can you have the choice here. We're not, we're not going to go with the city play, okay? We're going to go with yep. our best play, and you can always fade us, and we won't take it personally. But uh, BK and I really like Drake tonight, plus two and a half against Miami. And I'll read you, I'll read you one stat in relation to the tournament in that 12-5 seed, okay? So at least one 12 seed has defeated a 5 seed in 32 of the last 37 tournaments. So it's a pretty good rate that a 12, that at least one 12 seed beats a 5. Here's one of the reasons why we like Drake. So far, every 5 seed is one. So there's only one more 12 seed that has an opportunity to keep this trend alive by beating a five. And it's Drake tonight, plus two and a half against Miami. Drake's got a lot of experience. Miami's overrated. We'll take the two and a half and put it in our back pocket in case it becomes about free throws late. But that's our official play. Would you like to fade us or follow us? Well, I came this far with you all, so I guess I'm going to play with you. And uh, if not, we're yeah. going to blame Jamie. 
Yes. Oh, that sounds great. Wow, we're in a win-win spot. Rob, nice job. I love it. All right, sounds good. So good you have job. Drake plus two and a half tonight. You got it. And uh, how about how about number 28, Perez, my cousin, getting called up to the USA team. Hey, congratulations. That's fantastic, man. It's been an exciting run. Yeah, that ain't no doubt. All right, you guys have a good one. You too. Thanks for playing, Rob. Have a great weekend, and we hope to talk to you again next Friday. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks, Rob. That's uh, that's Rob. He's won $150 of FanDuel's money nice. thus far. He's collected 50 bucks the last three weeks, and uh, he's got another $50 on the line with a chance to come back and, uh, and win again. What was our – Marsh, we started – when we started this yeah. about a year ago, we had a run there. I think we had four or five in a row, didn't we? We did, and I have it written down somewhere. I'll what the streak to, is. Uh, and I'm pretty sure we were doing that in the tournament, if I remember it correctly. It was Kyle. He won four times at the beginning so, of that. So Rob is looking to match the longest streak in Fader Follow history. It was history. our first Fader Follow contestant. Won four weeks in a row. And at that point, we were like, this guy might never lose. Like, Marsh, we got to get some other some other players in this one. BK Marsh, famously said, "I did." <laughs> it's getting too easy. We should do something. <laughs> and then as soon the gambling gods went, "Oh, okay, great. Here you go." And well, I think all over sports us. betting. What famously easy? I figured easy to make money from those big uh, buildings that they built up in Vegas. You know, every every week you move on, you start putting out different plays that are a little bit tougher, like maybe some prop plays. They're all tough, every single one of and them. And I've learned that over <laughs> the past year. That's Andrew Marsh. Uh, a couple of thank yous here as as we wrap up the show. Don't forget, in ten minutes we've got Blues pregame. Alex Ferrario will get you ready for the Blues and the Capitals in Washington, D.C. tonight. Um, first of all, Joey, thank you getting us on air again. Joey's been our engineer the last couple of days here, so thank you, Joey. Uh, Josh was our street teamer today. If you said hello to Josh and registered to win some Metallica tickets or you know, got yourself a koozie or whatever, you talked to Josh. So, Josh, thank you. And a big thank you. I missed this one yesterday, regrettably. But Grant Francis has been running the board for us the last two days. And uh, we appreciate Grant back in the studio, keeping us on clock, ready to go, handling everything back in the studio. So, Grant Francis, we really appreciate you. If you missed anything from today's show, make sure you give us a follow there on, uh, well, download the podcast at uh, 101 ESPN. Uh, or you could go to the website, 101ESPN.com. You can download the pockets. All brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And BK, thanks, man. This has been a lot of fun today. I, I love doing this. I always, I'm happy to hit. Fill in at any time. Just give me at least a week heads up. We appreciate you. Yeah, man, I'm happy to do it. BK was was partying all last night after the Mizzou win, so I'm sure I'm sure it was rough to this do. This morning was six, not fun. I'm not gonna lie to you. Olden six got hours the best of radio. I won last year. I beat Alton. I feel like I defeated Alton. <laughs> and then I had my 30th birthday, and Alton said, "No, not so fast, my Alton friend." Alton got you this yeah, time they, around. They got me. All right, Marsh. What do we got? Criticisms, compliments. Yeah, big uh, shout out to Owen on the text line. Owen representing Alton in the fast lane is now zero and three against our Gauntlet contest. Yeah, at least it, at least in yeah. in Max. But Owen. it wasn't zero and three. It was zero and three. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that. Nice job, Owen. Way to go. Yep, Owen got me in uh, in hockey. The wheel only only likes me for hockey. Yeah, it's five times. Not the, well. the wheel knows. No, it has not gone well at all. I've gotten football once. So right now, actually, the listeners have uh, they have won 30 times so far in the new Gauntlet 2.0. They're the first to get to 30 wins. And 
the total is 30 and 20. We are 10 oh. gauntlets oh. under 500. This has been a rough go. Yeah. <laughs> you get us in our respective lanes, BK. We're pretty dominant. It's like a 12 and 4 season in the NFL. That's, That's super correct. impressive. Yeah, they've been, the, the listeners, things have evened out in Gauntlet 2.0. They've been good. Uh, from the 573, Staltz, appreciate you talking about the Mizzou win today. There you go. Yeah, we, what we did yesterday. Yeah. I, I realized that sometimes you tune in and you expect maybe to hear something else, and we, we just happened to just talk about them 10 minutes ago or something like that. I, I get it. Just, you know, give us a chance. We'll, we'll, get, we'll eventually get back onto that topic. We typically keep it low. You had me on after seven beers yesterday smoking a cigar. So I, I know you guys talked at least a little bit. And it was Mizzou right basketball. after Mizzou won, too. Correct. We, yeah. had you, we had you on. So It's a nice win. We got a text from Lisa. Have a great weekend, guys. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Same to you. Everybody be have fun, but have safe. You know, be safe out there. Any yeah. fun plans for the weekend, gentlemen? I have three kids, so I have a all pregnant right, wife. All right, looks like I'll be uh, <laughs> having all the fun this weekend. I guess. Marsh can have Marsh's birthday this weekend. Yeah, it is. yeah. Sunday. Let's go. Mar yeah, Marsh. Uh, <laughs> ha happy birthday to you on on Sunday, my man. Yep. What are we? Twenty three? Yeah. No. <laughs> the big uh, big two seven. Two seven. The that was big a good year. Twenty seven was a good year. You remember twenty seven specifically? It was a while ago, Salter. It was a uh, three years ago. Started hosting at one hundred and one ESPN. Oh, good year. You? Good year. Nice. Good there year. you go. Good. Right on. That was that whole pandemic thing falling up. It was great. <laughs> falling up. The big two seven. The big Alex Petrangelo year. There you go. Was that a little? So what do you have uh, planned then? What do I have planned? I'm going to the BattleHawks game tomorrow. Okay. So I, and I was telling him in between one of the breaks that I'm a little frustrated that I won't be able to watch all of the games. Like, it's a perfect day, like I said earlier in the show, to just sit down and, you know, crack, up, crack open a couple, uh, couple adult beverages and just watch sports all and really day. really get after it. Absolutely. The WBC, United States, they're playing tomorrow as well. Lance so. Lynn getting the start. Former Cardinal. How do you think he did the other day? He's fine. Their pitching's fine. Yeah, that's the if they're gonna win any if they're gonna win it, it's gonna have to be by offense. Like yeah. That's that's their route, and they certainly could. Uh, we got a text from the six three six. Hard to respond when you're when you're passed out like like Jamie is. They think Jamie's having a good time on the weekend. He probably too. is based on some of the Instagram photos that we're that we're seeing. He's down in Nashville. We well, saw the group that he's with. I, yeah. I would imagine they're having a good time. It'd be hard <laughs> <Yeah>. not to. <laughs> I saw Cam Chanson in that photo. Yeah. Some other guys. Yeah. So I'm sure he's I'm sure he's having fun. But yeah. He's ghosted us a couple of times. So we'll address that on Monday. We'll lead off the show with that. Why are you such a jerk? You know. Hey, did you we have should. fun, Jamie? We should. Lead off segment. Why are you a jerk? Uh, by the way, we also did, we did get a text. Uh, people want to see react reactony. Reactiony? I don't even know how to say it. Ranthony, but reacting to things. So it's a new name. Okay. Reactiony. Does that make sense? No, Does I that like that. Sense? Yeah. BK, yeah. have you listened in when? Always. Every week. It's, it's appointment radio for me. For the soccer notes? Yeah. yeah. yeah Ranthony yeah. stops I'm, I'm by. I'm clicking along right with you. Sure. Yeah. Making sure we pull up some of the information for the next day. <laughs> I like that. Rick, we found out today, though, he's not previewing games. He only breaks them down. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be uh, it should be a fun weekend. Should be a fun weekend of sports here in the city of St. Louis. Yeah, Stoltz, so what's your favorite pick? The rest of this day, tomorrow, what's your – if you got one well, for the people, 
What are you leaving them with? Okay, They're coming so, out here to Max in downtown Alton. They've got the FanDuel Sportsbook up. They've downloaded it. They are in Illinois. What are they going with? So we, we both like Drake, so I won't, I won't go back to the well on that one. The other, the other team I like is Kent State. They're, they're plus four and a half against Indiana. We've talked about the four seeds not looking good. And Indiana is one of these teams that's like, oh, they've been fine. So I, I think Kent State plus four and a half. That's a late game. That's 8.55 tip. So, All right, for everybody here at Max in downtown, all have a great weekend. Happy birthday, Marsh. See you. You've been listening to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.